Okay, good evening class. Welcome to the second ever uh, recording session of 3AM Games. So this is an offshoot of the Art Eater podcast where we specifically celebrate games off the uh, beaten path. So uh, these are the games that bring you to this uh, different plane of reality, you know, where, where no matter what time of day it is, suddenly it, it feels like the latest hour of the night, like you've been up all night. Uh, these are the games that, you know, years down the road after you play, you wonder, like, did that really happen? Did this game really exist? You know, the, these are the uh, 3 a.m. games. All right, so I'm, I'm your host, uh, Richmond. I'm here with my uh, co-host and our uh, sound engineer and the guy that actually makes sure the podcast goes up all the time, uh, Sean. Uh, Hello. Yep. And then um, also with us today are uh, James Stanley. Hey, how's it going? And Adam. What's up, everybody? Hey. All right. I'm... Uh, I'm super excited uh, for, for for this this session. Um, this is our, our second second ever 3 a.m. game session, and I'm, I'm really excited about the game that uh, I have to talk about today. So, just so everyone knows, like we we don't actually know what everyone else is going to talk about. Like it's it's going to be a surprise for us too. Um, yeah. So, okay, I'm super excited. Uh, let's start with James Stanley. So James was. Uh, James was the the dude who came up with the 3 a.m. games uh, title. You know, you, you named the podcast. So let's let's start with you today, James. All right. So uh, for my my game for the 3 a.m. games is uh, a game that uh, I I've talked about maybe briefly to a few friends in the past. Uh, it came out in 2015, um, and What's what's interesting about it is that the I guess the 3 a.m. sensibility kind of sneaks up on you, or maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's right in your face. Depends on how you view it. But uh, the game that came out in 2015 by No Goblin LLC, uh, I feel like the best way to describe it is if you took Crazy Taxi and you took Kudu Kudu Kuduin and uh, you mixed it with some egg and cinnamon. And uh, you've got this game called Roundabout. And basically, the way that this game works oh, okay. is it is a 70s-inspired crazy taxi game where you drive around to pick up people, but you are constantly spinning in a circle. Not in a taxi, but in a limo. And <laughs> basically, the way that this works is you play this character named George Amano, who is a stoic uh, but determined limo driver who has spent all her life spinning. Like she doesn't, she doesn't talk. She just picks up people. Uh, she rarely has dialogue. It's kind of like, uh, I guess, the seventy super platform movie where like the movie's like an hour and a half long and the guy has like two lines. Like she doesn't really speak, and uh, she basically just picks up people. And the game. It, it seems very comical at first, but it becomes cartoonishly violent because your, your car is spinning constantly and you're not able to actually like go anywhere in a straight line. Like you basically have to spin the person to their destination. And uh, there's a lot of like story cut in that's live action and it's all filmed with like chromatic aberration. It looks like a seventies <laughs> uh, black exploitation movie. Um, there's a skeleton named Jeffrey that shows up, uh, you know, <laughs> and there, there is a love interest 
that 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 shows up as well, but is also like a a motivator for uh, for Giorgio. Uh, it's it's an interesting game. Uh, it's definitely something that when you play it, it's just kind of like it does feel like you may have made it up yourself. It may it feels like maybe it's a dream. So, so spinning is not a, a term for something. It, it actually is spinning, right? Like, that's not like a slang term that we're supposed to know? No. The car literally <laughs> is spinning around, and that is how she drives. She does not drive <laughs> in a straight line. She doesn't make turns. The car just spins around in a circuit, circ- in a circle. So that's, that's just how she drives. She's always revolving. Uh, and the city is actually called Roundabout. So basically, this is like an accepted form of movement in a vehicle, even though uh, people definitely die and people definitely yeah. crash into things. Like it is, it is wildly destructive, but it is an incredibly fun <laughs> uh, game. I'm gonna, I'm gonna send you guys a trailer. Uh, just give me a second. Yeah, I'm watching some video of it right now, and yeah, I can see the people like live action acting, and they just. Yeah, it, it really does feel, it captures that 70s B-movie feel. It's very, very, uh, it's very, very cool. I like it a lot. Yeah. I'm actually impressed by how they got the film quality uh, <laughs> to that level, because it really does feel like old film stock. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, another thing I wanted to note is that the music is impeccable, and it definitely sounds <laughs> like it's from that era, and not just the, okay, we're just making music like this. Like, it feels... <laughs> Uh, like an analog recording. Um, and there's not much about who made the music. Uh, and the credits for the people who worked on a lot of it, it's like their first game. Like, I think John Teasdale, it was his first game. And then the art director is listed as someone named Panzer. And then that's the only credit that they have. But these people definitely are super talented. Uh, because for someone to make this feel, it's not just about like the film grain or the quality. Even the tone and the pace of like, the arguably like bad acting and like the weird pregnant pauses from like how those movies were made. It's all of that stuff is there. Uh, even like B B roll footage is actually in this movie or game <laughs> rather. Like it's, it's really peculiar. Like the more that you play it and you like get into the world, it's just like, wait, is this a game? Is this like a movie? Did I make this up? Was I drunk? And I imagined this, like, did I like, it's just it's a very peculiar game, but it is fun and it is definitely you there can play it at two in the afternoon. But video, it's definitely two. There appears to be video for like each one of the passengers as well. Is that what I'm what I'm picking up on, or, or is that just oh, certain really? passengers? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no. Every passenger that you have is an NPC that basically develops the story with you as you're t- taking them to their destination. And some of the passengers are connected to other passengers. So there's like an intersecting story uh, with who actually is in this world of roundabout. So it, 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 it basically it unravels as you uh, revolve. <laughs> the story revolves as you revolve in your limousine, basically. It- this is absolutely mesmerizing to watch the gameplay because <laughs> when you hear it like, oh, it turned, you know, it's a, it's a revolt, it's a spinning thing. It's like, but yeah, it's 3 a.m. right now. I can't, because you like jump on buildings and there's like cars falling out of the sky. Like, 
Do yeah. they even try to make that make sense, or do they just keep throwing <laughs> obstacles at make sense? No, it none of it is none of it makes sense. It's just like no, you just have to spin around and get where you need to go, and you just sort of figure that out. I mean, there's certain things you earn. There's certain perks and abilities that you get like later on, but the core gameplay is that you're in a limo and it spins around like a top and you just have to get where it is that you need to go um and i mean in the few in the times that i've played it uh yeah there's if, if i could count the casualties it would... <laughs> i i love that there's a jump button you know, I, I think uh, any, any racing game with a jump button is usually pretty good. Mm. It gives me, like, really strange kind of, like, crazy taxi type vibes. But at the same time, like, it's like that, but just times 100. Like, the fact that spinning seems to add so much more to the general kind of zaniness and the, the danger, I suppose, in trying to navigate tight spaces and corners and all the rest of it. It's just, yeah, it's like crazy taxi, but spinning in the 70s like is this what, mm-hmm. what what's going on here yeah it, it makes it makes me wonder if like this is the first game and they they just couldn't figure out how to get the car to not spin so they're like all right <laughs> y'all y'all why don't we just lean into it yeah <laughs> like and then and then maybe at some point later in the development someone was like hey i figured out how to car- get the car to not spin and they're like no it spins now yeah it's like it's a it's a it's a feature not a bug type thing right like it's just it's or they've already gone too far like it's already yeah. way too implemented yeah <laughs> I, I feel like this must have been a game jam game. Like that must have been where where it originated. Uh, it it mm. has that sort of uh, that 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 really improvised uh, vibe to it, you know. Like like they just mm-hmm. came up with a concept and just like ran with it to see how far you could take it. Definitely. Yeah, this uh, was a really cool one. How, how how did you discover this game? We went and oh. lost James briefly. Oh, oh, yeah. Yep, yeah. Yeah. James dropped out. Uh, we can talk about it a little bit well, until he joins. Yeah, let's let's do that. Yeah. Uh, so, what, what I'm trying to figure out is who who made this this game and then was like, all right, it's like a '70s black exploitation film, guys. Uh, yeah. And, and they're much. like, okay, like a. He's like, no, 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 live action. Like, I, I don't know. It's hard to describe, but. So I, I saw one clip with um, one of the, the riders where he's, I guess, supposed to be Canadian. He's got, like, a little Canadian flag that he's holding. Mm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, I'm, just having, I'm just having a look now. Okay, so basically, um, yeah, the studio over at um, No Goblin, they have been creating unique games with, um, with heart, basically, is what they said on the website here. They've got a game called uh, 100 Foot Robot Golf and, and Roundabout, like James was just speaking about there. And they're currently working on No Goblin Game 3, so it's going to be an, un- it's an unannounced secret game at the moment. Yeah, it's kind of oh, cool. Wow. They've, they've got, I think, it looks like five people on the team. Um, co-founder uh, Dan Teasdale. Um, yeah, it's a really cool developer over there. A uh, person called Panzer, another co-founder. Uh, someone called Jewel Han, a 3D artist. Uh, Cecilia Castillo, a level designer and artist. And uh, Jamie Lozada, a technical animator. And these people all exist um, on Twitter as well. They've all got their ads and stuff on here. Yeah, like, 
it's a, it's a nice little site they've got here, and this game is really wild looking. So I'm looking forward to whatever else they put out next. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like it looks uh, like they've, they've got a few games out actually. Uh, it's no Goblin. Okay. Uh, what, what else? I thought they just had those two. Uh, yeah. One of those, like, let's see, there's a uh, 100-foot robot golf. Uh-huh. Um, uh, where you get to control impossibly large robots on their quest for par. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess you're, yeah, it's a mecha golfing game. Hmm. That sounds pretty also good. Just actually, does look pretty good. Yeah. Um, oh, I've heard of this. Yeah, I've heard of this game. Okay, yeah, yeah, I have. I just, I just saw um, a screenshot of it, and yeah, it has a little trailer here too. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is on Steam. Yeah, it is. Uh, I also like it. So this one's got like a really cheesy like '80s anime feel to it. Perhaps not surprisingly. Um. Mm-hmm. I actually noticed that the thumbnails got like in uh, uh, like a cowboy bebop looking like Ein uh, dog, and I'm realizing exactly why that is now. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> this reminds me of something else. Actually, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna say it. All right, so have you guys heard of a game called Fight Crab? Oh hell yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, Fight Crab. No. Okay, so for those okay, so check it. Out. I just dropped in a the trailer there, but for those of you who don't know, so. As we all will, I guess, know, the Godzilla vs. King Kong, like that's um, to, to movie, to thing, people love it. But imagine giant kaiju in the form of different types of crustacean with different weapons like guns, swords, knives, axes, all kinds of things like that. And as, as well as their own like literal giant pincers and stuff. Basically, you get to control a gigantic kaiju. And yeah, you just get to just destroy a city and an opponent who's also a kaiju. And yeah, you sort of like duke it out in a large 3D world. And yeah. you're just knocking over buildings. You're throwing things at each other. You are hitting each other over the head with different items. But the cool thing about it is it's all kind of like a slow kind of um it's kind of like co-op i'm not sure if anyone's, anyone else has played that one it's it used to be quite popular but like you kind of just like mashing buttons to control the character it's hard to control but in yeah, this it's, sense it's kind of like you're swimming it's kind of like swimming against like water resistance right you kind of can't quite control your movement properly so yeah it's it's trying it's to fight against controls like fight. obtuse controls yeah exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly exactly and, and they're they're, oh, they're, they're, like they're photo reels yeah yeah exactly yeah. Uh, sort of yeah <laughs> Like they're 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 totally realistic looking crabs. Like they're they're gi- mm-hmm. they're kaiju, but they're also like, you know, if if you if you eat a lot of seafood, you'll be like intimately familiar with these characters. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And just the yeah. title itself is ridiculous because fight crabs. It's so silly. It, 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 it just sounds like the Japanese way to pronounce Fight Club. Fight. Yeah. Fight oh, oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's such yeah. a it's such a ridiculous premise because like on paper it does sound like it would be too silly to work. But they make it work so well. Like they have so many different types of crab. First of all, second of all, they have a yeah. lot of different weapons. And then also, like it's been, it, it was doing like quite well. You can get like a Darth Maul type like laser sword. You can get like a big drill. You can get like um, some pile bunkers. Like you can get anything that you need to be beating people up with. But it's not people. Uh, it's crabs. That's yeah. it. It's just great. I mean, that's that's the fantasy of most gamers is to play as a completely realistic. Crab beating up other. Wait, wait. See, so do you fight only other crabs, or do you fight all sorts of other things? 
just mainly, crustaceans. I, I was just, I was just saying, it's mainly focused on crustaceans, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So imagine yeah, a viewer yeah. being like, well, I'm really only into fighting cephalopods, so I'm, this is not, yeah. not for me, I'll wait for the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's cool though, because like, especially in this game, you get to climb up like different like objects as well. So for example, when fighting in cities, there are a lot of different skyscrapers and different buildings of varying heights. So you kind of get to like climb up and then like jump off a building, and then you can kind of just like hit an enemy with like a giant spear or something or whatever. Or you can like you can I don't know you can like RKO them with your crab claws. Like do you know what I mean? Like you can do all kinds of stuff. It's very silly. Yeah. Oh, this is definitely the stuff of nightmares because they—it looks like they have the um, <clears throat> the Japanese spider crabs in here, which I've always yep. felt like you can see them in a lot of aquariums. They always look kind of intimidating because uh, they're the ones that have the really long legs, um, but they're also really spiky. Yep. Uh, so I, I I was already already kind of scared of them, but giving it a sword—that's uh, they really <laughs> don't even need swords. Like they're already pretty intimidating looking. Yeah. It's so yeah, it's it's so wild. Yeah. Like you can get like a uh, crabs with like sigh. I'm just looking at these here, I'm gonna grab a couple screens. You can get a but, shotgun. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say you can get a shotgun, you can get a chainsaw, like yeah. you can get there's, there's so many different um items that you can utilize here. It's quite hilarious. Look, look at this. <laughs> it's very silly. My favorite one I've seen is they just have one that's just like a drill. I mean yeah. like a, a drill you would see like on a on a piece of construction equipment. <laughs> Exactly. It's so it's so um it's just so zany, but it works so well. Yeah. Very, very well yeah, constructed yeah. idea. It's, it's it's executed with utter sincerity. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I think that's why it works so well. Definitely. I also like how some of the stages are like a table at a restaurant, but then other ones are just you're in a city that's apparently crab sized. Yep. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you're yeah, you're at the, the sincerity with which it's executed makes it work much better. Um, yeah, definitely. It doesn't. Uh, when you were saying like, "Oh, it's it's realistic," I was like, "Oh, okay, because proportion." But like, no, they rendered like real looking crabs. It's just exactly. Except they have real looking. Like this one has an axe, but the, the axe is a real size axe. Like they didn't make one small mm-hmm. enough for a crab to use. It's just wielding a regular human size axe. I don't. <laughs> Yeah. I'm, I'm amazed that the models are working as well as they are because, like, normally you would expect there to be a lot of clipping and stuff like that mm-hmm. when you, you know, combine all these shapes together. But it's kind of just working for me. Absolutely, I'm just gonna send something in there as well, like with the key art. Like, it's absolutely hilarious. So I just, I love the fact that like one of the crabs has a big, like, you know, Thor, like Mjolnir, like hammer, and then this <laughs> other crab is just absolutely ready to mess it up. And it, it's like a little lobster, but it's like, the, yeah, you've got like shurikens flying in the back. There's like chains and like, you know, other crabs underneath with like swords and like axes and spears and tridents. And it's, it's just so silly. Like, it's just, yeah, it's great. Yeah. And they're always photo real <laughs> crabs. They're totally real looking. <laughs> Yeah. Well, what I'd also like to point out, I actually noticed in looking at videos, this uh, I always kind of appre- appreciate like weird artistry like this. So the backgrounds also got pretty good depth of field, so it really sells the the realistic nature of, of this, especially when they're like in in a sand or restaurant things. Like it, it really feels like it's being filmed for like a TV show or something, like Definitely. right above the the crabs. But um, it makes it feel realistic. Yeah, there's a really nice it's, shot. It's that got, to yeah. in here. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, Shai, I think you 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 go like uh, you you scuba dive, right? Does it kind of remind you of that like that that effect when you're underwater where like everything gets blue in the distance? I, I think they got that going on in here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Kind of. 
Yeah, yeah, you're right. It does. Um, it, it's definitely got a little bit of that feel. You're right. It's got that um, because it, it doesn't quite feel like depth of field. You're right. It's um, I don't know. You uh, scuba diving is one of those things where you get like a lot of focus, uh, and it, it it has the effect of making everything else feel like. It also helps that like scuba scuba goggles tend to have um, blurring around the edges, and uh, and it, and it's something that everyone can learn today is. Um, I wear glasses. I have terrible vision, which is hilarious for a designer. Um, and uh, you obviously can't wear glasses when you're scuba diving. Uh, so you might be wondering, like, so at the first few dives that I did, um, I actually just couldn't see anything. Uh, oh, it was no. super blurry. But you, like, you don't, I mean, I mean, I mean, I can see, like, it get really up close. So when we were first diving into, like, uh, reefs and stuff around Laguna, like, I had to get really up close to see anything. And eventually I just took the dive, and apparently you can get prescription goggles um so uh the difference between having like kind of a blurry uh you know very serene type of feel and then ha and then having to like uh i don't think we had it with crabs but like uh, i had to get dangerously close to things that could sting me in order to be able to see it mm, so wow. originally i was and i was also like well i'm you know, part of this is enjoying the, the the look of it so i eventually got the prescription goggles so they literally get your glasses prescription and they cut it into um, into the into the actual mask itself, which is pretty crazy. Mm. So you'd go from this thing where obviously part of scuba diving, you take your mask off for various reasons. But it's always so weird to me to like to not see anything as we're going into the water. And then once I go a dive, I can see all of a sudden. Um, but uh, no, it's, uh, it's super fun. But you're right; it's got like a very plein air is a good way to think about it because um, it's got kind of this this serenity to it. Uh, because like you're not just focused on the environment around you. Uh, you're also focused on breathing and stuff like that. Um, um, but uh, that's, that's part of what makes it very, uh, yeah, very relaxing and stuff like that. And also like slightly terrifying at the same time. The first time I went into a, um, basically a place where I couldn't immediately get out of, uh, you, you kind of get this like laser vision uh, that mm -hmm. makes everything else blur around you as well. You're very, you're focused. So it's both a mental effect and a, a visual effect, but yeah. Uh, that's a weird tangent from fight crap, but you're totally right. <laughs> it's cool. It's cool. I share that yeah, with you yeah. in a sense. Like I used to want to be a marine biologist, and I've got like a bunch of like biology books around me even right now. Nice. But like I've I've also been on dives and stuff. I used to have um back this was back when I was like a kid, I guess. But like I had like a dive party like kids like certification. So like there are these wow. there are these people that teach you how to like scuba dive and stuff, and you go on a bunch of like lessons, and then there's like this big course, and then there's a big test kind of thing, and then you end up doing that, and then you get this little certificate, and then obviously if you can continue doing that, you get more certificates down the line. I did a bunch of that stuff back when I was like younger, and yeah, before um, game design and before fighting, I was very dead set on becoming a marine biologist. So it's cool to hear you talk about your experiences diving too, because I just love hearing people talk about swimming. I miss it immensely. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I uh, I wish I could take credit. It's um, my wife. My wife Rachel uh, was working at the aquarium, so she needed dive certification, and cool. uh, she didn't want to do it alone. So I was like, "Oh yeah, we'll we'll do diving." So mm. uh, yeah, no, but I don't. I, I think it's really fun. I'm actually uh, really looking forward to getting back to diving after the pandemic. It Definitely, turns out, you know, pandemics are not good for like sharing tanks and wetsuits <laughs> and stuff like that. But, <laughs> Absolutely and, not. Yeah. But, and, and of course they were like, we, we haven't done a whole lot of it. Like we're not, we're, we're very amateur, but we are certified. And mm -hmm. they were like, Oh, we're starting to do things. You can get on a boat and dive off a boat. And I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not boat diving yet. That's not a, <laughs> Cause we yeah. do the kind of thing where you just walk in because we live a, near, the, near the beach. Right. So we just walk into the water. 
Yeah. Um, I'm okay with walking into the water. I am not ready to backwards dive off of a boat. So yeah. <laughs> um, but but yeah, no, it's a very you, you, it's you a, can, definitely a very enjoyable hobby. I recommend it. You can do Super VR enjoyable. training with Fight Crab. I'm going to bring us all the way back to No Goblin. So they apparently have another game called Kaiju Driving Range. Okay. So uh, yeah, it looks pretty too. similar to their other one, but um, it's pretty much what it sounds like. It's it's Kaiju golfing, um, you know, except uh, they have a pretty weird approach um so this but the reason i mentioned it is a vr game um kaiju driving ranges i i guess i i have to look, kind of look at it but um i it, it's like the robot does golf shots and then the kaiju's goal is to be a dick and stop the golf shots from happening yeah <laughs> and i'm unclear if you play the kaiju or the robot Seems like um, a compliment to robot golf, hundred foot robot golf, and then you have the kaiju mm-hmm. who are trying to stop robots from golfing. Uh, in yeah. like quickly looking at it, I think what you do is I think the the robot golf is the normal game, and then the VR is you play as the kaiju in VR trying to block the shots. <laughs> Basically, yeah. It looks like as a kaiju, you can like throw buildings at the robot golfer to try and <laughs> distract oh, them or just like you know knock the knock the shot off course. Yeah. That's wild, and also very mean. <laughs> yeah, I like That's this great. a lot. This Reminds team came up with an idea. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna say this is bringing back my uh, primal rage memories. The idea yeah. of playing as like a kaiju or like a godlike monster. Um, mm. I just I don't know. There's not enough games that let you play as um, destructive godlike monsters anymore. You know. True, true. Now, this team seems to have a penchant for that. I was just saying there, like, they seem to have a really good idea as to how many situations you can put giant kaiju in, right? Like, they just say, okay, so we're going to do golf. Okay, then we're we're also going to do, like, fighting crabs. Okay, that's cool, that's cool. All right, good, good. And then after that, we're going to make a driving game, like, about about a nonstop rotating, like, limousine. Like, yeah, this is very, um, very, very, very strange, very 3 a.m. I like it. Yeah. yeah. So I was just noticing on their website, they apparently have a making of roundabout book that you can buy. It's it's an ebook. It's one dollar and ninety nine cents. I'm probably gonna buy it. Nice. Um, uh, but yeah, so they sell ebooks and video games. You know, of course, the two yeah, things that go together. That's, that's a smart idea. Two bucks. <laughs> it's, it's always fun to read about other people's development processes. You know, that's it's a great resource. Just hearing about other, other people's experiences. You know I just what I like about it also. Okay, no, go ahead, AJ. Oh, cool, cool. This is cool. I was just going to say real quickly. I just found um, an article about Fight Crab itself on Event Hubs, and now this has got my brain like going, and I'm going to try and search and see if there, if there are any Fight Crab like tournaments. If there's like a, if there's like, a competitive scene like for the game, <laughs> I'm going to try and see oh, what's up with be. that. There's got to be. Yeah. Um, yeah, go, I, go I just wanted to give a shout out to uh, Sean. You were saying there's not enough kaiju games, right? Um, yeah, more or less. Yeah, I, I've actually been uh, helping out. Uh, my, my my team's been working on a game called um, Dawn of the Monsters. They uh, yeah, they just announced that a little while ago. Uh, it's being published by WayForward and developed by uh, 13 AM Games. Oh, oh, 13 AM Games. Huh. I just, just made that 
Anyways, it's a really cool looking uh, upcoming uh, kaiju uh, battling game. It's like a beat em up. Uh, kaiju beat em up with really, really nice uh, 2D animation. Uh, yeah, yeah. Please look that up. Cool, yeah, no, definitely. Look it up. Um, I was also like a big, not surprisingly, a big fan of Rampage too when it was out. It's kind of in the same yeah. vein. Um, yeah, yeah. And King of the Monsters. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it's it's not exactly the same thing, but it reminds me of. Uh, did you guys ever play Black and White? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was the, uh, um, by the uh, Ultima creator, right? Wasn't it? Uh, it was kind of. It was like a, a RTS like, but you you were also doing like some um, some world building and sim building and stuff. So the reason it reminded me of that is because like you in Black and White you play a god, and you could do stuff like pick up like your people and just like drop them in the ocean and stuff like that. It's not uh, exactly the same thing as controlling monsters, but then you could, you could, uh, eventually you could stick mythical monsters on your civilization for some reason. Um, so yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, it wasn't not, not, um, it's by the creator of Populous, uh, Peter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't yeah, know yeah. if I'm saying mm -hmm. it correctly, but yeah, yeah, that was, that was a, that game was a big deal. I think it was, a uh, for the original Xbox, right? It's like a RTS, and then you, you yeah, have yeah, your yeah. avatar, and um, uh, it was supposed to react to your gameplay choices. So, you know, if you were very kind to your people, you'd have, like, a kindly, godly avatar, and if you were very mean to them, they would get more, like, distorted and, like, gnarled-looking. Uh, yeah. It was far more fun to be mean to them, though. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, or, I, I don't know, maybe that says something about me, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the games yeah. usually are, are 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 kind of built for that. I, I don't know. I can't. I can't bring myself to to be mean, even in a in a video game. <laughs> well, what's weird is I I have that problem in games like Mass Effect, where there's like a you know there's a morality system built in, and you're like, okay, this time I'm gonna I'm gonna play Renegade. I'm gonna be a dick to everybody, and then as soon as you have to do it, I'm like, oh no, I can't be a dick to them. I have to be nice. I'm a, I'm a hero. But it's something about being like a, a semi benevolent god. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'm just gonna drop people in the ocean. Um, <laughs> well, Populous yeah. was oh. the original game for that. Right? Mm, mm. I think it was. Yeah, that whole system it reminds me so much of one of my other like favorite games. It's a bit of a wild one, but um, Infamous. Did you guys ever play this? Oh, that's the open world uh, superhero yes, yeah, game, yeah, yeah. right? I had such a yes, I had such a good time with this game. You play as this guy. He's called Cole McGrath. It's um yeah, it came out like what in like '09, I think. Yeah, was, yeah, May May 26, 2009, and developed by Sucker Punch Productions. Or back on the OG like yeah, PS3 action adventure, like perfect machine for it. Like it was really, really enjoyable, and it had a lot of really cool um, mechanics that would be available to you depending on what kind of morality system that you picked. So it kind of had like a good, bad, calm. I think it was like a, called a karmic. Um, was it karmic meter or it was, it was karmic something? But yeah, it had a very specific, uh, specific um, set of rules and you could kind of be like nice people but if you weren't nice people that would like change how people saw you in the world and yeah it was, it was really really cool I really loved that series uh, a lot I, I've, I've heard about I haven't played it but I heard a lot of people uh, say that the second game Infamous Second Son is actually kind of a hidden gem maybe we talk about it later uh, yeah. also for our listeners to remember, uh, Sucker Punch is also the studio behind Ghost of Tsushima if anyone's curious mm -hmm. like what they basically made Infamous and then Ghost of Tsushima kind of came out of nowhere um, yeah, but uh, they're still they're a pretty talented studio. 
Um, uh, uh, so. Massively, massively, yeah, massively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, those are big games. Um, I think Infamous 2 is actually, or Second Son, I'm sorry, uh, that, I think that's actually like one of the best-selling PS4 games of all time. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's yeah, surprisingly yeah, like uh, one of the top five. Yeah. Um, um, I wanted to also mention, like, in the, they're one of one similar, very similar to Naughty Dog, actually, where their past doesn't quite look like their future. So I actually briefly uh, did a couple of work, work with them because they also did Sly Cooper. Um, yes. Which is, uh, again, very similar to Naughty Dog. They kind of started off in very cartoony, goofy platforming style games. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they kind of migrated into, like, much more action oriented, narrative driven, AAA yeah. titles and stuff. So. Uh, I don't know. That's kind of an interesting thing, and I'm starting to notice that a lot of uh, older studios are kind of making this this progression. Uh, but a lot of the ones that were really good at the the 2D style, because Sly Cooper is a fantastic looking game Absolutely. as well. Um, they just yeah, like they, they mm-hmm. yeah, cel shaded. Yeah. So they sprung really well into the into the new era. So it, talent talent knows no bounds. You can just traverse different game styles and stuff like that. It's, it's really cool. Absolutely. Did anyone yeah, ever see the um? I would see the Sly Cooper like movie, um, Sly Cooper movie trailer, but that was supposed to exist. They didn't remember. <laughs> no. Oh, hey, there was a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was supposed. There was supposed to be. Like, oh, I think, well, it, I I think no it got. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it got cancelled. But like, Rainmaker Studios was supposed to be working on it. I believe. Yeah, like huh. it was supposed to be like a big thing. I'll, I'll send the trailer right now. I'll find it. I'll find it. Also, okay. someone just joined us again. Yeah. Yeah, James is back. <laughs> Yes, I have returned. Right. <laughs> oh goodness. Cool. We uh, we talked mostly about Fight Crab and. Oh, that that is a wonderful game. That yeah. Is, I yeah that that's I'm glad somebody bought up Fight Crab. Uh, I think I saw Maximilian actually uh, talk about it like not that long ago, and I was just like, oh, let me see what this is about. <laughs> so who 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 brought up Fight Crab? I did. Yeah, it's cool. Hey. Yeah, I had to, man. I had to. <laughs> Listen, Fight Crab is wild. It's just so cool. When you're talking kaiju, you got to be talking about those crustaceans with the Simon. You have to do it. You have to do it. <laughs> if my lobster doesn't have a chainsaw, don't talk to me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know what? That that's a quote. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a three yeah, AM game. We, we can quote that for the merch one day. If my lobster doesn't have a chainsaw, don't even talk to me. That's it. <laughs> there you go. There you go. It writes itself. Yeah. yeah. So right. so maybe it's a tradition to, to call it out, but uh, I'm feeling that might be the title. Okay, cool. I'll take that. Yeah. That sounds that that's my yeah. locker does not have a chainsaw. Hey, don't even talk to me, bro. Yeah, <laughs> it's such a silly thing to say. Yeah, but yeah, yeah so, no, oh, but it's perfect. Though. Yeah. So we 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 started we started talking about this basically, and after that we took we had a little bit of a chat about the kaiju driving range game. And that came after we talked about like a brief little stint with uh, regard to Sean's uh, diving um, past. And then I talked about my diving past as well. Because we, we both used to do scuba diving unbeknownst to each of us right now. So that's another little revelation. But yeah. Oh, wow. That's cool. that's awesome. Yeah, it's right. Yeah. Which is somehow related to the, the feeling you get when you play Fight Crab. 
Yep. Especially in the same I mean, yeah. Yeah. of course. Basically, the, the, the term <laughs> that you're looking for, for as well, like as things get more blue, as they go to like the backwards area of like the the um, the world, I suppose, that happens in real life and we call it atmospheric perspective. So for example, when, we, when we're looking at like, I don't know, let's say a mountain range and we're at the top of a mountain and we see the sky and we see all of the different mountains like stretching back further and further, you'll notice that they often get, you know, tinted with a little bit of a, of a blue hue the further away things get. Yeah, that's what that's called. Yeah. Uh, so I'd like to go on a, a quick other tangent that's not related to that, but something I learned recently that I thought was very interesting is, did y'all know that um, blue is actually the last color that most cultures discover and have a name for? Ooh, um, really? I was watching a thing about, like, um, how like how color is discovered and how it works within cultures. And it, it, it had, like, the, the prevailing theory seems to be it has a lot to do with we name colors within culture as we can create them. So like um, for the most part, red is one of the first colors that cultures identify because things like clay and other things like that can be easily created out of, out of pigment. Then uh, black black tends to come up pretty, pretty early on. Um, most cultures have names for black and white and red. Um, then like uh, what's interesting is you, you start talking about that um, older cultures um, in talking about blue, they actually tend to describe it um, much closer to um, like black, actually, like a lot of older cultures referring to the color of the sky refer to it as like a murky black or like a gray black or something like they. Uh, uh, it, but it's, it's so anyway. There's there's a whole lot of videos online about it. It's neat. I recommend everyone look up. It's super interesting that anthropologists have kind of dove into this. But mm. blue is one of the colors, even though it's uh, it doesn't really. They were also talking about how it doesn't uh, appear a lot in nature. Um, other than other than in water and in, in the sky, like in terms of yep. uh, if you like maybe blueberries or something, but if you can think, most things aren't blue. Uh, they're usually combinations of green and red, and uh, so it's usually like red, then black, then yellow, um, then green, then blue tends to be the the rough cultural discovery. And it, there's no relation between how close cultures are from each other or what times they existed, it seems to be pretty consistent of the human condition. So anyway, this is a super interesting tangent. I just thought it was interesting. No, absolutely. I've got two things to actually go off your tangent with. But yeah, for basically for any pigment yeah, to like Yeah, for, for for any pigment to appear blue, it needs to absorb like red light, which is uh, it requires um, some closely spaced like energy levels and stuff. And they're found only in molecules that are really complicated or hard for like organisms to create. So that's a big part of why it is that blue itself is not very easy to for, for people to find in nature or for mm. you know for us to actually create itself. Because yeah. The actual pigment itself is very, very. Um, it, it's hard to uh, it's hard to describe how tough it is to actually pr- procure, but yeah, very, very tough because people were doing this a long time ago. But people were also having a lot of trouble doing it, even like in in a, in different cultures and different spaces and places. So yeah, it's very rare in nature. But also, what you just mentioned as well, when you talk about the color oh. red, uh, my name um, is actually kind of like derived from like a part of that in different languages. So for example, like Adam, it comes from a Hebrew noun. It's like a, it's like Adam, Adama, I think it is, but yeah, it means like the ground or like earth or like basically my name, it basically means like of the earth. And it also can be translated in one area, I think as like from like the red clay or from the ground or from the red earth. So yeah, my game, my name like means, uh, means this. It's, it's pretty cool. Nice. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty good. Yeah, that's. Awesome. I know, right? And it's cool as well because it's like my name has like red, like red earth, like in it, and red earth is a really cool series that I like. And I'm just like, oh, it's <laughs> like all going together, like oh, yeah. it's so cool. Oh, the correlation. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. 
I was born to love Capcom, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. no, I, I feel that, for sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really quite strange because um, I suppose we kind of forget what it is that our names, what, what it is that our names mean and what it is that they're connoted with and, you know, why they get chosen and stuff. But, yeah, it's kind of always a bit nice, I guess, when you find a little a little thing like this and it kind of reminds you a little bit of, uh, of things from the past and why people pick the name. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah. All right. Shall we get back to 3 a.m. games? <laughs> Let's bring it all the way back around, everybody. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah uh, James, did you have any final thoughts about Roundabout? Because we went distance. We went pretty far away from Roundabout, yeah. so we should round yeah. back guys, around. <laughs> you guys, you guys had a Roundabout to the Roundabout. Turn this car around. Turn this car around. Yeah, yeah, literally, right, and metaphorically. But uh, no, no, no. So basically, the 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 one thing I wanted to close out with it is that uh, you know Roundabout was a game that when I played it. I kind of wished that it was a tie-in to a movie and that no goblin actually secretly filmed an entire movie of this thing and then released it later because like there's the, the, the game is fun. Don't get me wrong. I love the game. The game is hilarious, but like the short little segments you get with the characters and interacting with Giorgio, like there's so much love and so much work that went into that, that like, I would have loved to have been able to just sit down and watch like a whole movie of it. And I think it's because the opening of it literally feels like a seventies, like grindhouse or like seventies, just normal seventies film. Like even from the font choices, the way that the text overlay comes up for like the opening credits, like it just feels like this thing that is like from a time capsule that wasn't even created, you know, like it just, it, it just has that vibe. And it's like for people to be able to, um, encapsulate that so perfectly like it would have been nice to just see more uh footage of it especially the 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 footage in the beginning like like there's parts in the game that seem a little like maybe it doesn't feel the same way but like definitely the opening uh i wanted to see that and i think i just wanted to see more of jeff uh, the skeleton honestly uh filmed in the way that it was filmed in the beginning i just wanted more of that but it's a it's a fun game uh, I think that if you pull that out randomly with, with friends, they're going to have a good time. Uh, if, if, if you want to just be transported to 3 a.m. immediately with something goofy as hell, like, then that's definitely the game to do it with. Um, you know, like I said, I, I, I highly recommend it. It's super cheap. I think it's on Steam. Um, you know, if you want something just fun to mess around with. And I hope the lady who plays... Uh, Giorgio gets more work, man. I don't know. Something about the way that she handled that character is very specifically awesome to me. Nice. I wanted to know, like, how did you, um, how did you find out about this game in the first place? <laughs> so, um, I actually, when I'm working on like comics and stuff, I listen to different things, right? Like sometimes I listen to music, soundtracks, and things like that. But sometimes I listen to. Uh, streamers that i happen to find that are pretty funny and um one of them is a uh, vine sauce uh, Vinny. he's from staten island in new york and uh you know he happened to play this game and i was like what is this and i wasn't even looking at the screen i was just hearing the music and i was like man this sounds like some kind of like 70s like thing and his reaction to it was so ridiculous that i was like wait i gotta stop what i'm doing i gotta see what this is for a second and um 
you know, I said, oh man, this is, this is dope. So I went and just looked it up myself after that and like decided to play it. And, um, you know, and I was like, holy God, like, dude, this is actually really fun. Like, this is actually like a fun game to just like mess around with, you know, like if you don't really want to focus and you just kind of want to like play around and just kind of do some silly stuff and like, uh, you know, it was just a really like fun pick up, pick it up, put it down kind of game. And the music was just for me, right? Like, I mean, the music in this game is just, it's fantastic. So it pulled me in. Um, but uh, yeah, I saw someone streaming it. And I was like, what is this? Like, I need to like play this for myself. I didn't even really watch the rest of the stream. Like I was just like, nah, dude, like I need to like, like play this on my own. And, uh, but yeah, that's how I, how I found out about oh, that's it. That's great. Just listening to, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, hopefully you will uh, transmit that experience to uh, our, our, our listeners here now. I mean, honestly, <laughs> like it's something that I've actually thought about streaming myself uh, just because it's it's ridiculous. But there's a lot of uh, elements in it that are specifically interesting to me. And I think that like if I talked about some of those things during a stream, I like pointed that out, like that would be kind of like a a neat thing uh, to do. Because I think the only other, uh, I think, production I've seen that filmed something in a slightly specific way, but maybe a little bit different was um, there is a music video by one of my favorite groups called uh, Flight Facilities. Um, and it has that sort of sensibility, like late 70s, early 80s, uh, like like filming sensibility and and vibe like and i was just like man like they really nailed it and that was like for like a two or three minute video but in roundabout i was like oh my god dude like they they nailed this again like i want a whole i would pay i would pay good money to see a netflix show about roundabout it could be four episodes it wouldn't even have to be like super long but i would pay good money to see a show that looks and feels as goofy as this all right Yep. So yeah, I just wish it was bigger as like a thing outside of just the game itself. Cause I think people would, I think some people would play the game and be like, Oh, okay. But I think some people would be like, yo, what is this crazy show? I'll watch this, you know? <laughs> totally. Yeah. I can definitely see that vibe. I'd watch it for sure. <laughs> All right. Shall we move on to the next game? Let's get it. All right. Um, so I'm actually really excited to, to talk about this game because it's, I think it's super 3 a.m. Um, and what is lucky for all of our listeners, I'm sure we'll link later, you can actually still download and play this game. So um, the game was made in 1995, um, but it is based off a, I believe, a 1967 um, sci-fi novella. Uh, I don't know if anyone's familiar with the author uh, Harlan Ellison. Um He's he's actually so he's um, kind of a he, he's well known within what's called new wave speculative fiction. It was kind of an era of sci-fi between like in the sixties and seventies. Um, he's also very well known. He's written a number of influential Star Trek episodes. But the game I want to talk about is one that he worked on directly with. I forget the name of the developer off the top of my head, but it is called I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream. That's um, that's how I know so that name. That's how I know him as an author. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so this game was made in 1995, again, during an era of excellent games. I would say that this this game, by all counts, is considered a 
uh, financial failure, but the game is amazing. So let me walk everybody through what so that, what kind of game this is and how it works. So it is a it, it's it's an adventure style game, but the way that the interface works is super interesting. So you have um, the way that you control characters is like you point and click and you make them walk around and whatever, but it's got this text area thing where what you're actually doing by clicking is you're constructing a sentence of what they do. Um, if that makes sense. Um, and, and I'm going to talk about the story in a second, but I kind of wanted to give everyone the, the, the gameplay of it. Um, so it is kind of an adventure game, but there's a bit more interactivity. It isn't just first person. So you see the character, you move them around uh, and you have a spiritual barometer, which is super important to the story. Um, and basically the, the general idea, and this is something that Harlan Ellison was super interested in in a lot of his stories, is um, the idea being that uh, good acts and evil acts um, matter, and like they only, but they only matter in contrast to each other. So the spiritual barometer is basically uh, you, you build it or you lose it based on how evil you are. Uh, so let me talk real quick, just give everyone a really high level of the general story as I remember it. Um, but the high level of this story is, and again, the New Wave Speculative Fiction has a lot of surrealism in it. So basically, they're um, in the far future, most of Harlan Ellison's uh, stories and screenplays are post-apocalyptic. Uh, so this one's not, not different. There was apparently China, Russia, and America got to a point where they were fighting each other completely cyber warfare. They were caverns of um, you know, supercomputers, and the American one, the Allied, super, the Allied, um, I forget the, whatever, but his name is AM. It's I think it's Allied Microcomputer or something gain sentience you know i think therefore i am is a is a common phrase that comes up in the book uh which uh i i read because i knew someone that was taking a class and i thought it was interesting so um either way uh it ends up taking over and then but the plot of the game is far in the future uh, this computer had taken over and killed everybody but five people and has been torturing them for 109 or 105 years at some very specific number um and even like the way that the illustration renders the torture devices is super crazy, and, but, but really well done. Uh, so anyway, the game itself is that you play as each of the five characters, and this uh, supercomputer is interested in torturing you to some degree and learning about you. So it puts you through five psychodramas based on the fears and insecurities and flaws of each character. So like, I'm, and I'm going to telling most of it from memory. And even if I had everything in front of me, it, it's such a crazy game. So like one of them is like an ex-Nazi scientist and his psychodrama has to do with like a concentration camp. Uh, one of them is like an ex-programmer CEO and she's stuck in like an electrical Egyptian pyramid. Um, one of them is like a, a, a guy that's been like kind of a con artist mover and shaker and his storyline kind of deals with insanity and rape and stuff like that. Um, so anyway, the spiritual barometer I mentioned earlier, it has a lot to do with the fact that this game has like 10 endings or something like that. So it, it has like, there's a lot of little nuance as to how you play. And then the fun part of it, and then I'll, I'll let everyone else react to this. So hopefully they've had time to look up how crazy this game looks as well. But basically what ends up happening is that you find out that the Russian and Chinese supercomputers that were absorbed as part of the storyline are actually still somewhat sentient and they manifest themselves as uh forces or like kind of it seems like there's someone trying to help you 
beat the supercomputer uh, to overcome your fatal flaws and your 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 uh, psych psychological problems and your fears. And it turns out that th that's like that's not a twist. It, you you learn this pretty early on in the game, but that that's kind of uh, the element that kind of throws a bit of a wrench into and creates a bit of the conflict. Um, but uh, it's. Uh, it's, it's like it's like three or four dollars on Steam. Like I actually recommend everyone play it. It, it does. It's very dense. It takes a lot of time. Just like most of Harlan Ellison stuff, it's not easy to read or easy to interact with. It takes a uh, a lot of effort. It's super surreal. Uh, it's got like uh, a really nice art style. It's like, really well rendered, but it's got kind of a uh, a bit more of an earthy palette. Um, and uh, also, I recommend people look it up because the voice acting, it has voice lines for everything, and they are super 3 a.m. Like, they hit your ear in the weirdest way possible. Um, anyway, it's, like I said, it, it's, a, it's a crazy game. I was trying to remember it for the last episode, but I could not remember the author's name for whatever reason, and then uh, I just ended up, like, going down. I was like, okay, I remember he wrote a Star Trek episode that was super big, and uh, I, I remember the game came out in like the nineties. So I, I eventually went back down my rabbit hole. And as soon as I found it, I was like, Oh, right, right, right. And then, uh, I pulled up, you know, videos and it all came back to me. And then I went and redownloaded it on steam. So I actually was playing it yesterday. Uh, and it is as crazy and weird as I remember. Uh, but it, it's actually a really good game. Um, uh, in terms of like, well-constructed, very unique, very engaging. Uh, anyway, no, this looks this looks awesome. Like I'm actually looking at like the the intro for the game right now, and there is a very specific feel to uh, just the way the game is laid out, uh, just the way that uh, like any of the visual art for it, like everything about this, it, it embodies like a particular feeling that like is intriguing. Uh, it kind of reminds me of that. Uh, I don't remember what episode this is in Cowboy Bebop, but there was like some sort of cult that I think Faye was going to join. Like, I feel like you could take little bits of this and like throw that together and it would make so much sense. It reminds me a lot of like, yeah, just like TV a very cult. different perspective on like everything. Yeah. 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 Like it gives me that sort of uh, vibe and sensibility. And uh, I mean, I, I haven't seen a game like this. So like, like I definitely feel like I would, you know, give this this a shot. Um, I'm even interested more in just Ellison in general. It looks like he had a a lot of interviews that came out that were very uh, you know interesting. So I'm like actually looking into this guy in general I, because this game is so specific and how it feels. Like I want to know more about the creator. I just want to throw out a quick uh, interesting uh, bit of trivia about Harlan Ellison um, and and how he actually directly ties to uh, anime and manga. Um, so there there. Uh, in the 80s, late 80s, um, there was a manga called Grey by uh, uh, Yoshihasa Tagami. And uh, when it was published in the U.S., um, Harlan Ellison wrote the uh, introductions because he, he was a fan of this particular manga. Um, and the, the author was actually a fan of Harlan Ellison. And I, I think he was pretty open about being... Uh, influenced by Harlan Ellison, and I think Harlan Ellison just appreciated that, and he he, he wrote about like he wrote these intros to to this manga called Grey. It's this hard sci-fi like action um, dystopian uh, post-apocalyptic manga with a similar uh, a vaguely similar setup to I Have No Mouth and My I Must Scream. It's it's a future where like every town is run by like uh, an AI. 
Um, that, that's that's one of the basic concepts. Uh, yeah, yeah, Harlan Ellison. He he he, he is directly connected to uh, manga, and uh, I, oh, I, I man, think that's such an interesting yeah, there was an anime novel. adaptation too. Oh, yeah. Is it, uh, it was directed by Satoshi Dozaki. So that's um, the Osamu Dozaki's oh. brother. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. Yeah. That's that's major. Like, <laughs> Small world. I, I had no idea. Yeah. It's yeah. really Everything's connected. How, uh, Every, everything, everything you like yeah. is connected, usually in like a surprisingly few degrees. Yeah. Definitely. But this game looks so surreal. It's got, got such a cool style. Um, it's uh yeah i don't know like if if it it it, it's a style that you don't really see anymore it's Mm -hmm. not particularly you can't just easily describe it as any particular school of art right you can't say like oh you know it looks like a triple a game it looks like a a comic book It, it it just looks like um like it could be every frame of it could be like a science fiction cover from like 70s or 80s or 90s it's got like a so really painterly look everything's very idiosyncratic and the characters just look like people they're not particularly like glamorous but it's still like stylized it's it's got a really cool vibe to it yeah. really cool mood if anyone has them yeah. has a chance go go ahead and just uh, look up different various covers for the book from isaac asimov the caves of steel like oh. there is yeah yeah really obviously you know prolific um writer isaac asimov but um yeah there there is one specific version of this book here that my father has and it's in our house currently and i remember looking at this back when i was like maybe eight or nine years old and i was like what is going on here i'd never seen anything like it before i'm about to post it in but yeah like Whoa. it's such a it's yeah it's such a specifically strange and odd kind of eerie almost supernatural in a sense or paranormal like type of um, vibe that it gives off like the mix mixtures of like the reds and greens and the kind of just un or uh, uh, What's the, what's the word for it? It's like unnerving and the, the yeah. scary kind of like nature of the angles and positions that this kind of weird creature slash mechanism is like in it in front of you. And yeah, it's very, very strange. But all yeah. of this stuff that we've just seen here gives me that same kind of vibe. And one thing as well that I remember from this game specifically, um, there's a scene, I think, or multiple scenes where you see these different people in these cages up on these pedestals. And I remember looking at this many years ago, like a long time ago, and I saw, like, I think um, one of the machines is, like, stabbing a guy, like, repeatedly or something like that. And I was like, what the? Like, this is, like, super, super, like, creepy and, like, just very, just very horrible, like, like a very, like, <laughs> awful thing to, like, see happen to a person. But at the same time, it was very, very weird and sort of almost kind of, of, like it was drawing you in in a sense and it was kind of enticing you and being like okay I'm going to show you something else that's really weird and creepy and like terrible and awful and I was like oh my god who could possibly think of stuff like this but it's so cool like I want to find out more like it, it's like when you're a kid and you kind of find out you, you watch the music video that you're not allowed to watch for the first time do you know what I mean like it's, the, yeah. it's that same kind of vibe yeah, that same kind of feeling it gives you that that really similar kind of oh this is this is dangerous this is naughty I'm not supposed to be looking at this but like I am like, do you know what I mean it's a very similar kind of feel so yeah i I like this art a lot Uh, i wanted to mention that uh, around the the talk about the art style so uh one of the reasons that i ended up uh discovering this game is uh, around the time this came out um i was actually really into mist and riven 
like, I, and I mean, like, really into it. Like, I, they, they're obviously games, but I don't know if you know, but there are books. So I actually had a lot of the books as well. Um, Wait, they were, they were this books? books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, did, and Riven books. They, yeah, they, they um, came after the games, or um, I think they. Well, so Riven books came after the Myst games because it's the sequel. But I believe the books came before Riven the game. But it's all part of the Myst universe. Um, and it's the same, the, the same kind of idea. This like adventure game that he uses, and these aren't pre-rendered 3D per se, but I, but it looks like there's probably some 3D involved. Um, and this is like, uh, I feel like this is one of those things that's lost the time. Like uh, our ability to configure this exact style of rendering, I think, no longer exists. Um, like our technologies doesn't do it anymore. Like in the same way, that, like you can't really get the same film grain that exists in the 60s and the 70s. So, but, but I just wanted to mention that that was kind of the path that led me to this game. It wasn't just um, the, the kind of the, the sci-fi element of it, but um, that this was when, when games like Mist and I think uh, Mr. Riven was like 95, 94, somewhere around there. 90, you know, that it's generally around the same area. Uh, we, we talk a lot about how, the, you know, the, the mid-90s are like golden era of gaming, and the, this is right smack in the middle. Probably explains why it didn't do so well um, financially, among a ton of other reasons why it doesn't, you know, maybe not the most compelling game to purchase. But um, anyway, I just wanted to mention in relation to the art style that I think that there is a relation there in terms of this pre-rendered type of early 3D, uh, combining it with sprite-based art and combining it with the, the limited color palette. And it just, you know... To use a, a term, this, this this type of casserole is no longer possible to make. I think. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, I, I was gonna actually uh, mention something that AJ was was actually saying. So I'll like, I guess I'll piggyback off of that. There is a particular rhythm and sensibility to this that it does feel like if you were a child, this was something that you weren't supposed to see. Yeah. You weren't supposed to. It's like, it, like this is the kind of thing I feel like I might have been in my parents' basement while my dad was cutting the grass or something, and like I happened to change the channel to some weird, creepy thing that I don't know what it is. I don't understand it. It startles me, but I can't take my eyes off of it. Um, like, Because I, I was watching a scene from the game where it was almost like this prisoner roll call where, like, somebody's just screaming out the, invi- the individual's names that are in cages. And then there would be, like, a quip that they're saying to them, like, to taunt them, or you would learn something about the person in the cage. And uh, just the, the rhythm of, like, the delivery of, like, the voice acting, uh, even the angles that they're using to show it is just so uh, visceral. Um, it's almost like you're standing in this huge, like, underground cavernous prison or something. And, uh, I, and it's like you're there, but you're not there, you know? Like, you're just kind of like, oh, my God, what's going on? Like, I don't – I shouldn't be here, but I don't want to take my eyes off of it. Like, uh, this game I, smells like VHS and Kodachrome, <laughs> like, and just I, – I think it was originally on DOS as well. Um, that was that explains the sort of uneasy or queasiness that I get from like the color choices, mm-hmm. uh, but I kind of enjoy that. Like there were certain games back then that like based on those colors they made you feel specific moods. I mean these games are obviously limited in comparison to what we can do now. So like if they can make you feel these things through color, uh, you know they've done a really great job. So this is yeah this is a really cool, interesting game. Man. Yeah, I'm just I'm just reading right now. Uh, a weird thing uh, 
the, I mentioned before that Harlan Ellison was actually very involved in the creation of this game uh, to the point where he's actually the voice of the, the super AI that's torturing all of them. Um, oh, wow. Uh, that's... Ooh, nice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and, and combine it with, to your point, the uneasy, because, like, this is one... Of, I don't know how, how many games had voice acting, but th- this game has full voice acting. But it doesn't sound cool. It sounds weird. <laughs> it... it uh, this is not a point at, in time in which like our our audio processing has was good. So the voices are good enough to bring you into the world, but they are really unsettling. Um, mm. and, and like it, even when you start off the game, there's like a uh, they're actually reading from a giant tablet of the supercomputer's hate. Like it, it like it, so the way that it talks and the fact that it's Harlan Ellison's voice is <laughs> it, it's like I said it's deeply unsettling but it's a very good setup for the story yeah just a little bit more um, on the art as well like I'm just reading here it says like since the story takes place in the mind of like a mad god who can make anything happen the team chose a variety of art styles for each of the scenarios ranging from like unsettling perspectives using like German expressionist films to, pu- to pure fantasy to like stark reality like the assistant art director uh, Glenn Price and his team rendered more than 60 backgrounds utilizing a number of 2D and 3D tools and including Deluxe Paint and Lightwave, and hundreds of animations were drawn by an assistant art director, uh, Jeanil Centennial, also Centennial, and his team of animators. So you can just tell how many people were really, you know, working hard on trying to make sure that this game had a very specific visual language that it could portray these themes with, and they definitely did uh, succeed. But I just wanted to hit on one more thing as well. Um, it said, like, in pre-release publicity for this game, like, uh, Ellison apparently said that it was a game, that it would be a game that you cannot possibly win. And, like, that reminds me just so much of a, of a of a taunt just in general whenever you're playing, like, fighting games, right? Like, that, that's why taunts exist. That's why, like, you know, you can utilize them to sort of, like, say or send a message or send a statement to another person, not only through your good gameplay, but to actually get to taunt somebody. That is something that exists so much in games still today, right? Like, we have, like, Fortnite dances. We still have, like, you know, the, yeah. the notion of, like, teabagging someone in FPS is, like, we've, we've always oh. loved taunting people and kind of making fun of them whilst we're, in essence, like, you know, beating them up and stuff. And seeing a game be sort of so specifically focused on that aspect of not only just the human condition, but it's... Um, it's its very own portrayal in video games and through this sort of grotesque universe in the mind of this mad god playing tricks on and taunting people. I think it, I think it, it's really interesting just to see how a game can be so focused on something that very much still exists today and seeing the creators like focus on that very specifically. It, it's really interesting. I wonder what a game like this would, would be like if it was released today. I wonder how it would be taken. I mean, given the backbone behind the design philosophy and the fact that in a lot of ways this game is a, was ahead of its time mm. i think that like you know someone revisiting this would actually be an interesting experience it probably would be a nuanced niche uh like following mm. but i think people would make incredible videos about like just what this game represents and like i think it would it would make for some uh involving experience for players so like i mean hopefully someone revisits this or has another idea that can create uh, a similar sensibility or a similar vibe because i would be down for it for sure definitely i'm just reading here exactly yeah, like... I, I, oh go ahead, go ahead oh i just i i think if it was made today this game is so raw yeah, definitely. <laughs> like I, I think people might have a hard time just sort of stomaching like yeah that's also just, a good point. It's, it's such an angry mm-hmm. game and it's 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 the author 
um, has inserted himself into the game as the supercomputer that's been torturing people for a hundred years. Mm. Yeah, and he and he's taunting the player. I, I feel like if it existed now, like uh, the author would, I don't know, he'd go on Twitter and do a rant, and then like upset people yeah. and like have a Phil Fish moment. Absolutely, fell yeah. down. Or something. I've got something about to be. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, to be fair though, um, the way to get all of the good endings of the game is to is to resist the supercomputer and to do good things. Like if you keep your like, I, I know there's like there's a bunch of other things you have to do to get all the good endings. The good ending, the good endings are basically where like you win and the computer doesn't. But there are many endings where you don't win. Um, yeah. But uh, I know that like every path to the good ending requires your spiritual barometer to be high because you did good things and you made the right choices so there's i don't know maybe underneath all of it there's some sort of um <laughs> something of uh, there's some sort yeah. of positive message i don't know that in, in an old yeah, interview yeah. Uh, in an old that, interview yeah. like, i'm just reading here like allison said like i created it so you could not win it and the only way you which you could win was to play it nobly the more nobly you played it the closer to succeeding you would become but you could not actually be it and that annoyed the hell out of people too so that's in an interview from like 2013 which obviously like compared to its original wow. release date wasn't too too long ago but yeah but it's really interesting just to think about this because like around the sort of early flash era right like there were a lot of games that were like this there were a lot of games that i'm not sure if you guys remember but do you remember one called the impossible game like it was this really weird flash game and you'd have to try and do all yeah. of these exactly people would play this in high school all the time like it, it was this really strange flash game where it would try and make you um like answer a bunch of questions and then like there was another game called the impossible game where like you'd have to try and jump over certain like pin like pin shaped blocks and stuff and like there were games that were meant to like frustrate people and they were really really hard to complete and they would be almost all almost either like endless runners or there would be questions that were kind of like who wants to be a millionaire type quiz that were really hard but i remember this one game i think it's called that was it It was the world's hardest game that was it and yeah you would have to do a variety of different sort of like challenges involving your controller your keyboard your mouse anything that you were utilizing but you would have to try and move through this really really strange and weird set of like puzzles and really weird sort of like either not just platforming but like games where you'd have to try and like avoid certain blocks that were going to hit you or for example i remember one really cool area of this game where you'd have to you know utilize a right click and then like sort of like freeze the game and then like use the um the dialogue box itself to sort of like go around an area and then as soon as you could click back into the game's window to sort of like get to another place where you would need to get to if that makes sense so like you'd kind of like bypass a portion of the game and you would have to kind of utilize that right click to sort of get to another area but yeah there were there were a lot of wow. really like weird games like this and i think i'm not sure if it, if it was it was called the impossible quiz or something like that but yeah there were there were a lot of games if people listen to this right now i think it was the impossible quiz but there are a lot of people out there at the moment who will remember this game and who will remember this period of time but one final thing about the sort of general i guess i wouldn't really call it like a hate game but i'd call it sort of like a, a mean game i'll call it but yeah like um getting over it with bennett foddy Another one of these games that is very specifically created to be hard for people to play, but they gain mass followings because one, beating it is kind of a it's a it's a notch on your gamer belt in a sense. People really like that, and also like it's just something humorous, right? Like a lot of streamers enjoy you know trying to get get up there and see if they can actually try and complete the game whilst talking about all sorts of different things that go on in their life or how the game makes them feel, and also just like in general, the game itself it has a bunch of different quotes that I think Bennett 
like Foddy like himself reads like out to the player and they're all about like failure and like how to deal with it and the acceptance of things not going so well at times and just whilst you're trying to sort of for those who don't know it's this game where the player is in an, the player avatar is like kind of like in a in a witch's part of sorts and like a cauldron and they don't have legs they only have an upper body a torso obviously and, and two arms and a head and you can only move around by using a hammer so you have to ascend this this humongous mountain with a, a, a sledgehammer and the, and your and your body. That's it. So you have to kind of like, if you can imagine it in your mind, whilst you sat down, kind of drag yourself forwards and try and like scrape your way up this humongous mountain. And then obviously, if you fall, that's it. Do you know what I mean? You've kind of got to try and see the start again, or you've got to try and sort of like recover from how far it is that you've fallen. And I think a lot of these sort of like difficult games, developers get drawn to them and they kind of think, okay. I want to do something like this. Like, I want to, you know, like put my voice in a game where we talk about various, you know, philosophical topics and provide different quotations about like, you know, disappointment and perseverance and anger and like progress being lost by a player. Like, it makes you think so much about how it is that sometimes we as developers can have just as much of an input on the game in a very physical and literal sense, as opposed to just a sort of like sit back, oh, I'm going to make the player think about this subconsciously. Whereas these people have chosen to outright (laughs) say it to the player so yeah very interesting all around yeah yeah it's it's a it's funny you bring bringing up uh getting over it because uh that's a game that i love to watch people play exactly there's yeah. something emotionally cathartic about seeing their progression you know from like oh, okay i'm gonna play this game to oh my gosh this is really hard to man what the yeah. you know and then seeing them either figure that out or stay in that space of just frustration um, like there's something about being able to create something that elicits that kind of experience where not only is the creator like embodying a particular feel within the game, but to see other players experience it is uh, it's, it's interesting, especially when people overcome it. Like it is such like a explosive sort of elation that you wouldn't get from any other normal game because the game is so unrelenting in its difficulty um it also it reminds me of uh another game that has a very similar uh sensibility that is uh exaggerated in a different way is called uh i want to be the guy mm-hmm. um you know and that game is just is exponentially infuriating but it is also very rewarding in the simplest form it's just it's not that you get anything special it's just oh my god i got through this level that this person made to be uh you know seemingly impossible but they somehow were like okay well there's this one little way there's one method that if you figure it out specifically you can do it and then when you do that um it is like a strong sense of uh you know accomplishment i guess you could say that it's akin to in terms of design like literal design is like something like dark souls where you're like you're going through all these things but you finally overcome it and it's great but these things are more of a I guess like a psychological like uh, experience, but yeah, I love watching people play. I've never played getting over it myself, but I actually really enjoy the experience of watching streamers play it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's super cool. Super, super cool. I think it's, it really does say something that um, this kind of, this pathology, this, this way of thinking about like how we can make players mad. It's something that's always been there. 
from from like you know from when we're children to when you know if you score a goal playing football or if you do something sick on like the basketball court or even if you're just winning a game of simple like rock paper scissors as a child you kind of just go like do you know what I mean like children always do that and then like mm-hmm. we have different forms of this and it kind of never it obviously just being like jovial and stuff like that it's never really too malicious but yeah like that sort of like playful spirit it still lives within us at all ages and I think that really is something that speaks to game developers and people who are creating overall it's interesting how they can sort of put that into their own products and see how people can register it and take it it's, it's quite interesting yeah yeah i i, I just want to um drop uh what uh, i'm just reminded of one one classic very old game um uh, all, all this conversation has reminded me of uh, tower of uh, druaga it's an old, old classic uh, namco arcade game um and it's it's not well known in america but it was a big deal in japan and it inspired a ton of uh you know game developers that uh, everyone loves today like uh kamiya hideki kamiya and other people it's a uh, so it's an old arcade game with i think it had a password system and it was sort of like an action rpg kind of zelda like top down view and you're supposed to ascend a tower with 60 floors and uh, the challenges just get like increasingly obtuse. So um, the idea was like uh, y- you couldn't possibly just clear it based on pure intuition with like a few credits. Like it was supposed to be something that would take a really long time, and you would have to like talk to your friends or eventually like you know look for magazines for tips. And um, just like a lot of the solutions were really really obtuse. People had to like work together and uh, figure it out. So it, it was just this really, really intentionally difficult, obscure game. But, um, yeah, I, I think uh, it, it uh, I mean, like, if you tried to play it now, today, like, it, it would just be frustrating. You'd just think, oh, it's just a bad game. But for the time, it was this really exciting thing that you you just had to, like, talk to your friends about and be like, okay, what did you do here? What did I do here? Let's put our heads together. And... Um, I do think you, as modern game designers, you, you could learn from this. Because, uh, for instance, uh, one, one of my favorite games of the last, oh gosh, it's been a while now, but um, last decade was, uh, uh, you know, the uh, PT, the, the, the Kojima Silent Hills uh, demo. Like, that, that was very much like Tower of Draga, where, like, it wasn't clear what you were supposed to do. And, like everyone was just confused and it was just really exciting that first like week you know where it came out where typically today when a game comes out somebody's like cleared it within the first 24 hours and post the ending on youtube right like a game can be spoiled like right away but that game was like just way too obtuse like uh, no one knew what to do and even if you did beat it you'd be like i i'm not quite sure how i did that i don't i don't know how i got past this part and um yeah, I think there's actually, especially in the internet age, where like everything uh, can be cleared instantly and information can be shared right away. Like uh, to make it a very intentionally obscure game, um, there's a lot of potential. There. Absolutely, I was just, I was just saying actually that like. Yeah, right now, like as soon as a game comes out, within the next couple of days, there'll be a speed run up instantly and someone will have just done it. Like yeah. it's absolutely amazing that people yeah. can do these things. But yeah, there's definitely something just about the the mysticism and the sort of the general that mythical kind of feel, right? Of like not knowing. 
Do you know what I mean? It's so simple, but just not knowing about yeah. what's going to be around the corner and it actually taking such a long period of time. For example, we all remember the kind of that is new under the truck era in Pokemon and like people sort of being like, okay, like you got to go to this place and then talk to this person and then do that. And then you go to school the next day and like, oh, I tried that, but it didn't work. What about this? Like you would sort of be like yeah. theory crafting with your friends and working things out that way. It was, yeah. it was really, it's wild to think about for sure. Very cool. Yeah. Game yeah. games like that uh, embody the one thing that I love about games is uh it's the, the the aura of discovery where no one knows what exactly you need to do yet. Nothing's been broken down. And you have all these varying perspectives uh, coming in to sort of solve and investigate uh, what this game is supposed to be. Uh, and I think that when you can find the, the balance of having a game be uh, excessively difficult, but then create a sort of environment that encourages people to investigate together uh one it it it's it lengthens the life of the game itself uh you know because i mean i don't know i mean a lot of us a lot of us in here came post-internet pre-internet but like a lot of times with certain games like things didn't get discovered for years you know whereas now it's just like kind of like you know like what aj's saying it's like you know you give it a couple of hours somebody's figured out everything but if you can create something that really gets people working together and asking questions and like, you know, speculating about these kinds of things. It, it, it makes the game more interesting. Uh, and I, and I think that given the hard work that developers do in any type of game, I think any sort of extended shelf life is always good, but especially if it's something that, uh, encourages like discovery and exploration i think it's something that happens at just like such a fast rate specifically because of like the advent of social media itself obviously but it can be it can be a good thing it's not necessarily like a bad thing it's just the fact that it's just being accelerated because of the tools that we have access to that's basically just it yeah i was gonna mention going back a little bit to the modern version of like what rich was talking about with pt Mm -hmm. That's a game where even people have broken down the engine and done things like figuring out that the, uh, it's not really a ghost, I guess, but the ghost is behind you the whole time. And even now it's so impenetrable. People can't actually figure out um, 100% how to beat the game. I think you're right. The, the, the mystery of it and the, the discovery is, is uh, it definitely lost a little bit, but um, it's still possible, right? Like it's just um, clearly the, the creator's, with PT went way out of their way to make sure that it was impossible to do those things quickly. Mm. Um, there are still people that are, that are breaking it down and still working on like, like have basically downloaded it off of the PlayStation cause they, they pulled it off the store and everything. Oh, um, nice. yeah. they're, they're still, yeah, they're still, they're still working, working on it. But I, I do remember that them figuring out that, uh, that Lisa is behind the, the player the whole time. What's also crazy is like, to me, that's, that's something we were talking about before with when people put in detail to a game uh, or to art that you don't necessarily see, you still feel the impact of it. This is a case where yeah. you didn't have to make the ghost follow you around the whole time. You can never, like, if you turn around, she stays behind you. So like PT went out of its way to do something that doesn't materially impact the actual experience, but it really does because the detail is there, the thought is there. Um, and that's, so, so the reason also that makes it kind of impenetrable as to what you're supposed to do is uh, the speculation from the programmer that, that figured that out was that 
uh, that's part of the misdirect as to if you broke down the programming and tried to figure out what you're supposed to do. The fact that she's falling around the whole time muddies the water. You're not sure what, like, like it, he, he felt like they almost put something in for people that were definitely going to hack into the game and try to figure it out that yeah. way. Mm. So, like, I, I don't know. I just love the idea of um, <laughs> Kojima being that far ahead of people being like, okay, um, I'm going to put in, like, layers of misdirects uh deep into this to ensure that people have a true discovery experience um anyway i just thought i I think that's actually a really good modern example of what we're talking about yeah absolutely one of the things that i that i liked about you know silent hills slight tangent i guess uh was that before it was discovered that lisa was always behind you the game gave me a very specific feeling and it was a feeling of when i was a little kid and my dad you know, we're all going upstairs for the night or whatever. And my dad would be like, make sure you turn the basement light off. And at the time, I was gravely scared of the dark. But I wouldn't tell anybody because you're like, you know, seven or eight. You don't want anybody to know you're afraid of the dark. You know, you're like, ah, OK, I'll deal with this. Right. So what I would do is normally I would run downstairs and get myself prepared physically. Right. <laughs> like mentally shut the light off and then dart upstairs like super fast. Right. And then yeah. one time I was like, man, I got to stop being afraid of the dark. My cousins make fun of me all the time. I got to stop. I got to figure this out. And one time I turned the light off and I just stood there and I started walking. And I remember just being like, oh, shit, something's in here. And it was nothing in there. But the feeling of it in my mind was that there was somebody behind me somewhere, not exactly behind me, but just in the vicinity. Of, I was like, oh, my God, I don't like this feeling. I got to get away from it. Silent Hills feels like that constantly. Mm. uh for me and i guess i'm an adrenaline junkie now so like i kind of love that idea of like i would sometimes walk through silent hills really fast and then sometimes be like no 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 i'm gonna walk really really slow and it would freak me the fuck out but i would enjoy it and then the refrigerator would fall or make some weird noise i'm like oh my god i can't do this so Mm. like that sort of feeling (laughs) is uh is, is it's it's specific and i really enjoyed that about a game where it can really something that simple as oh lisa's behind you the whole time it can create such a uh specific experience for people to like investigate and delve into and i think any sort of discovery uh whether it's making a game like maddeningly difficult or just making it intense and uncomfortable i think that that's the kind of stuff that really makes you want to break down design philosophies and like why they're there because uh i feel like this stuff has existed since the beginning of time it's just that now we have a way of expressing it through uh you know artistic creativity and collectives of people just working on stuff man so it's really cool no absolutely absolutely yeah one really cool thing as well it's the fact that like like um what sean was just putting in here like people still are getting afraid they're getting scared and they are being afraid of this thing which we all you know understand and realize is something that happens when you do certain things within the game programming but it still gets you it still frightens you it still jump scares you like there's a person here called um like lance mcdonald and they're just saying oh like i've been grabbed a lot of times and like lisa just scares the hell out of me whilst i'm trying to test patches and it's just it's exhausting like, i can't never get used to it that's what good horror <laughs> is like it does get you every time because it's like you yeah. know it's coming 
but it can still like affect you. And some of the best and most prolific writers or like cinematographers or even actors, like they strive for that because like if you can keep on getting new versions of the same effect, in essence, what it is that you're doing, it really does become like immortal. It never stops happening. Someone can always keep on enjoying it. And that's why we come back to our favorite films, our favorite games, our favorite books, our favorite comics, our favorite food. Like it gives us a new version of the same thing that we know and love. And I think that that's something very unique to people who enjoy creative media or just people in general. We, we like favorite things. What, what's impressive about that is that uh, I believe Lance is actually the programmer that discovered all this. And the fact that it can keep scaring him, mm. even though he's been staring at the game. And I, I actually often tell people that one of the reasons why I, I got out of working on games directly personally is that it, it um, for games that I worked on directly, a lot of the mystique was taken away. So it ruined certain games. Richmond will relate to this. I still can't play Guitar Hero and really enjoy it. <laughs> um, but yeah. but uh, th- this is a case where when you the, the fact that you can have someone that has seen seen the Matrix to some degree and the game is still effective, um, those, those methods. And I, I think it speaks to what I just talking about, that some things you can watch over and over again. And that's where the, like a lot of real quality and real love comes out. Um, I, I think I've told people I, I famously, or maybe not famously, famously for people that know me, I'm on my 17th playthrough of Xenogears, and it doesn't get old. Uh, like there's just the it's and it's like more when things are of that high quality, you actually just see more detail, and it gets better every time rather than it getting old. Exactly. There's a game we'll talk about one day yeah. called Golden Sun, and that's me. I've, I've played it multiple times, and again, <laughs> I will keep I keep playing it. I keep I keep playing it. I keep watching videos about it. I keep watching people's re- retrospective videos again and again and again because like there are certain parts of things like you just said there, and you recognize the quality in it not only is your own ability to you know infer and deduce goes up not only is your own skill level goes up but like just from a from a sentimental perspective as well like you really do get to cherish things because like we aren't here forever and we don't know that you know people are going to be able to make games forever or that was really weird yeah okay anyway i'll just continue but what i was saying i'll, I'll finish off is the fact that like when you enjoy things a lot and when you get to you know get a really good really good time you want to create what it is you appreciate yeah it can be really cool just seeing things seeing things differently as you grow and as that thing remains the same you get to have a different set of eyes each time it's very good yeah yeah what an excellent point man oh my goodness like because you're making me think about certain games that i i replay that are like non-fighting games uh you know resident evil 4 is one of them uh you know, and I mean, I was definitely at a different point in my life when I first played Resident Evil 4 compared to where I am now. And there's certain things about it, you know, visually, uh, sound design, all these things that are like little cues to like uh, what makes that game still special to me. Even with we, even with the newer games that have come out after it that obviously are better in some regards, uh, there's something specific about a game's experience where if you've played it for a long time and there's a reason that it draws you back and you're still getting things from it that maybe you didn't get when you were like younger, uh, you know, that's, that's a particular type of staying power. That's, that's interesting uh, to, to, to look into. Uh, But Resident Evil 4 is definitely one of those games for me where it's just like, I keep going back to it. I know what's going to happen. You know, Uh, the flaming zombie that comes out of the refrigerator still scares the hell out of me every single time. Like that feeling is just strong, you know, like it's well-timed, it's well-executed little moments like that. You just remember and and they work, you know? So it's kind of like, 
it's cool, man. Like when you can just go back and still like get something from it. Yeah, I think as a as a game developer, uh, to me that points to the importance of um, having all those little details, right? All those little little things they add up and give the game soul and uh, it, in a more uh, measurable sense, so long, longevity, right? Because you, you give people just lots of different little things to enjoy, right? Um, that's why I think like uh, people like complexity. You, you want like a uh, your your favorite foods probably have a little bit of complexity to them that keeps you coming back, right? So you you can't you can concentrate on different parts of it, right? It's hard to really take it in completely as a whole, or you you can do that, but then you can also concentrate on just different aspects of it that you like, yeah. And get, yeah, games that, are like that. Yeah, that's how I. You know, it's funny you bring up food. Um, that's that's how I look at a bulgogi. Uh, it's yeah. a Korean dish that is just basic as hell like you know initially it's a beef marinade with rice but when you break down the type of meat and how it's treated how the rice is treated how you know bulgogi tastes you know the next day or Mm -hmm. there's so many different layers to like why you might like something i mean and for me like you know because even when i went to korea uh you know feel like wow like like you really like bulgogi i was like i i've tried a billion things when i was there don't get me wrong <laughs> like I, I probably gained like 10 million pounds when i went to korea but um i always went back to certain things and i remember somebody asking me about that and i kind of explained like uh how this dish is basic to me but there's so much there that i want to experience it especially since it was the first time i had been to uh south korea like I definitely wanted to like explore. It's like, okay, well, how's the bulgogi here, or how is this here? You know, how's the hotok here? Like, what, you know? And that's yeah, yeah, man. Like, it, it, it kind of is something that you can explore with anything. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. This is what I say to people when I, when we speak about art and art forms. And it's funny actually because we are all like art eaters on this art eater podcast. But I mean, like, just in terms of the ability to just see, break down, understand the fact that what everything that we do, everything that we speak about, everything that we learn, the arts, the art forms, like culinary art forms, theatrical arts, visual arts, like linguistic art forms, martial art forms, like we speak about these things all of the time, but they're all so interwoven and interlaced. Just as like James was saying here, like, yeah, how does food taste the next day? Like, how is it, how has it been prepared? What, what, for example, like the kind of beef that we eat, is it grass fed or not? From which place? How long has it been kept in what kind of temperature for what area? Like all of these different things are in essence like art forms and the person in the kitchen is a chef they are a culinary artist they have given you a dish that they've prepared that they've learned to prepare from other culinary artists who learn from other culinary artists do you know what i mean like they learn things and we are taught in a sense that these are you know solitary um occupations that you know a chef is a chef an artist is an artist a fighter is a fighter but like no like we look at we, we should look at these things in a different way i feel and it's important to note that whenever it is that we speak about the ways that these these things intersect from our own perspective to a sort of, you know, a much more um, 
grounded and much more real world perspective as well like james was saying here because in essence like what we're talking about now video games and um like the food that he's eating like they don't seem to have any direct correlation but it's the preparation it's the ability to prepare it's the ability to respect the craft of creating a thing and a product and you know being able to break it down all of that comes back to what it is that we're talking about it's part of what we're doing here we are quite literally sampling and tasting and eating the art and we're talking about Mm -hmm. it yeah yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Shall we uh, get into the next game? Or we, Tag or, me in, bro. Let's do it. Let's go. I'm here. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. All right. Big okay. uh, high five tag in. Uh, okay, mm-hmm. so this game here is Enslaved Odyssey to the West. I'm not sure if you guys have heard of this one. It's a Ninja Theory game. Um, UK developers Ninja Theory. And it was written by uh, Alex Garden, uh, Garland and a person called Tamim Antonides. And yeah, it was released back on October 5th, 2010. And I got it ages ago back then it's going to be 10 years old like this year so again i would have got that back when i was like by that point i would have been about 15 i think so yeah i'll I'll be 25 this year and i'm going to have that anniversary with that game a lot of games that i like having the 10th anniversary so it's very cool Mm -hmm. it's very it's very cool thing but yeah it's a beautiful game and it's based around the story of um the monkey king and the tale of that so obviously everyone knows well well, for those who don't know the uh, the the journey to the west it's a this game is based is a loose adaptation of the novel the journey to the journey to the west but the game itself is set like 150 years into the future of a post-apocalyptic world following a global war a little bit similar to what it was that um <laughs> a little bit similar to what to what it was that sean was talking about now that i think about it but yeah like um it makes you think about how different people have different takes on such you know widely utilized um story mechanics and sort of plot devices and general plots overall little a billion different post-apocalyptic stories but i like this one a lot which is part which is a big part of why i, uh, I chose it today but yeah so the game follows this uh, a character a protagonist called monkey and he's forced to escort this lady called Trip home safely after they survive a crash on a ship. And you get to play as this character monkey who uses combat. And you, he literally has like a big headband and, you know, rides around on kind of like a cloud. But it's it's a giant like sort of like a, like a wave board in, from the future. It's kind of like a giant like hoverboard, actually, in a sense. But he also uses this giant stick, which is like a big old bow staff. And he can do a bunch of different combos. He does a bunch of different like flips and parkour moves. And he fights a whole bunch of really scary at the time for me, like very scary and um, aggressive mechs. And they, their goal is to destroy you every single turn so you have different ones that shoot at you different ones that are more melee focused more like vehicular type mechs that try and crush you and run you over all different kinds of mechs but yeah it was really really cool the game received a lot of you know generally positive reviews critics praised its graphics and like sort of overall world and level design especially and yeah one really cool thing about this is this game had a certain actor that we all know andy circus yeah he was uh, someone that provided a lot of performance motion capture for the main character and it was really helpful to the team in that aspect as well and the composer as well nitin sony is also another really cool british composer that people were really impressed by by the by the work on this game and stuff so yeah a sequel was planned for it but unfortunately it was cancelled due to the game's uh, financial kind of like underperformance so like it didn't do too great like i think it sold may i think they thought it sold like 
800,000, but I think it only sold about 400 something thousand. So it didn't do like too, too well, but it was made like backwards compatible as well for like the Xbox One so that you could still track it down and find it. It got released on the Xbox, uh, Xbox 360, PlayStation 3 back in 2010. And it was also on like a Windows as well. It got a Windows release in 2013, I believe it says here as well. So yeah, single player action adventure game, lots of fun. Journey to the West in the future. Play as two characters, mess up a bunch of, a bunch of um, you know, monstrous mechs, and try and find your way through a crumbling post-apocalyptic world. Very cool stuff. Yeah, I I didn't know about this game, but it, you know, I was already intrigued. But the moment you mentioned circus, it's just like, oh my mm-hmm. goodness! I know that the voice acting and just the body acting in general is going to be impeccable in this game. So I mean, I I definitely would, uh, you know, check this out. I mean, it's just like it's amazing how much stuff comes out. Just you just don't see. Like I haven't seen a trailer for this. I haven't seen anything for this. And now I'm just looking at it. I'm like, wow, this game is actually still breathtaking to this day. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's 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 got a lot of love that's packed into it. I think that's one of the things that's kind of interesting, especially when you find out about a game that maybe you didn't know about that came out like five, ten to fifty, even fifteen years ago. that that love is is still there like whatever people cemented into this like you can go back and like appreciate it exactly as it was like after all of the hard work and like because i'm just looking at like random screenshots of like some of the levels like design work and stuff and it's it's amazing uh Mm -hmm. and again i mean this is the first time i'm looking at it and it's just like you know i'm going back to a time where like you know a lot of people huddled up at desks all over you know a building and just made this game and it's like I can go back and look at this as if like this is like fresh off the press, you know. Like mm-hmm. that's it's really cool to me. No, definitely. So, Adam, yeah. what about it um, makes it particularly like a three a.m. game for you? Okay, so check it out, right? It, I'm I was just like James for for a while. Like I hadn't heard of it, and then I actually ended up playing this game like at literally three a.m. I was obsessed with it. Like I used to play it really early into early on into the mornings, and it just has such a really strange sense of um like not just level design, but like the way in which the world kind of like is very much like crumbling around you. It feels like a fever dream. Like there are some areas of this game. Well, I, I hope not to like to, to spoil, obviously, but there's some areas of this game where you kind of go inside a kind of like mind, uh, inside a inside a dream sort of scape, a dream space, and it feels very much like it's just being written by someone who's flying by the seat of their pants in a sense. Like you just don't know what's going to happen next. You've got no clue who's going to say what, what's going to happen. Like I remember visibly, like vi- I vividly remember getting up with the controller in my hands and like saying like what. Like what will happen here? What what why did this person do this or what's gonna happen there or what where's this person gone? Like there are so many areas of this game that are very intensely confusing and strange, but also very, very just beautiful. Like it's crafted with such a beautiful sense of not only just like like I said before like level design and stuff, but just seeing the way that like nature is like reclaiming these massive skyscrapers yeah. and then looking at these like vast sweeping landscapes with like a hundred like a hundred cars that are all like overgrown and mossy. And then like underneath one of the cars is like an actual giant mech and it like throws them away and then like it like charges at you and stuff and then you've got to play as this character that can do some really sick combo and then like hit this mech in the face and then like try and escape with your life as like more mechs come as it signals other mechs trying to attack you like it it for the first time it it showed me that 
a post-apocalyptic narrative can be done in a way that might seem a little bit played into, but it can do so in a way that really feels very personal and very um it's it's very well acted it's very well thought through it's very it's it's just so beautiful in in the sense that you get a feeling for these characters and the situations that they're going through and they are multifaceted and multidimensional and it's very apparent that even for example one of the main one of the main parts of this game is the character monkey he has a headband on just like you know the the monkey king i suppose in the in the old fable but that headband is actually like a control device that the woman puts on him so basically she has to get to a certain place in this world and she can't travel alone if she does she'll get hurt she's not strong enough to kind of survive out there in the uh, in the vast wilderness i suppose so she finds this guy and she puts this sort of head control, like mind control device on him. And he has to do whatever it is that she says. And if he doesn't do so, the device kind of like burns and it kind of glows and burns him and it hurts him. <laughs> so it's very strange in the in a sense. It's kind of like a, a, a found friendship kind of thing between them where initially they're very tense. She obviously literally just like enslaved him, obviously. So it's very terrible that she had to do such a thing. But then you kind of see like why later on. And then like these two become closer. And then in the end, he ends up helping her in, in a bunch of different other ways. And yeah, it's just, it's very, very interesting. And this game is my 3am games because it's a very, like did this game even happen kind of a game like uh, it didn't want, it didn't sell too well but yeah i think most I, people I should wanted to build on what aj is saying about the so, so something that's interesting I, I actually had recently only heard about this game because and I, this is not meant to throw like games like uncharted or tomb raider under the bus because i like those games but i it came up in a conversation where this is often touted as like a hidden gem alternative to, mm-hmm. hey, are you someone that likes the gameplay and style of Uncharted or Tomb Raider but wants not boring characters and not boring gameplay and not boring mm-hmm. setting and good acting? Uh, play play <laughs> Enslaved. And it, a lot of stuff you're talking about is exactly kind of in that vein like, or a lot of the post-apocalyptic approach in terms of like beautiful things that you're saying. The, the, the games have gotten very grounded in reality right and like a like a game like last of us which is good but it takes itself so seriously it's it's hard to have kind of goofy fun and the, the fact that there's this artistic approach that has great acting like andy circus and doesn't take itself so seriously and then it takes also a a story that most people are familiar with but then remixes it in a way that that kind of tells you that you don't know what to expect out of it that that just sounds like a wonderful combination of things like uh and uh, so i was actually i had it on my list to play it because i recently was like oh i enjoyed uncharted i want more of that thing but i don't want to play more uncharted <laughs> like, so, <laughs> so again that, that's not meant right. to throw it more about like kind of the tendency to take ourselves too seriously or to try to ground things too much in reality and not remember that games are a medium where you can just do whatever you want and you can have fun you don't have you can reinvent stories and you can tell them in different ways and there's you know just adding stylization and a little bit of different acting like there's so many ways to tell the same story in different ways or to, to bring your own voice to it uh quite literally like with andy circus or with like clearly they had a creative vision for this game uh that was well <laughs> executed and really powerful uh so yeah definitely um, cool definitely 
I, I used to love just looking around at like the vast um, landscapes and just seeing the way that everything was overgrown in such like beautiful with such beautiful intricacy and the amount of time that it must have taken to you know craft this general world feel because there aren't very many other characters like in the game itself that you know there are like quite a few NPCs that you talk to but like in terms of not only just like playable characters obviously there's only just a couple but yeah like there aren't that many people in this part on underpopulated world because obviously it's a post-apocalypse but at the same time the characters feel like more more than just one person do you know what i mean like they feel so well written that like when you're looking at them from different perspectives it makes you think about them in different ways and that kind of like fills up the space of multiple characters instead of having just like lots of people that you kind of see once and then don't see again you actually get to have a really good look into the backstories of people and like just even the way some lines are delivered like they have such a such a weight so many areas of such weighted dialogue and such really well thought out script writing it's just it's a beautiful game and it's just great in terms of not only just writing but in terms of gameplay too they have a lot of really fun boss fights a lot of really fun you know enemy engagements like i said before like the level design is great yeah it's it's really really cool and i think that a lot of people if they do want to as you said play a game that's like uncharted but again before uncharted because it's so strange again I, i truly believe that if this game came out three years later or four years later this would be the game that people talk about this would be it it was doing so many things that other games that are more popular that did get to hit a much bigger sort of like plateau and you know blast off into the stratosphere so much so that we still reference them and talk about them today like it could have been one of those games and for me it is one of those games but yeah just unfortunately the timing just kind of wasn't right but it's very much to answer your initial question question richmond it's a it's a 3 a.m game that's kind of like very before its time ahead of its time and i think a lot of people you know unfortunately didn't get to experience it but it would be great if they could yeah all right well what what is the best way to play it now I guess Xbox. I actually wanted to, while we're talking about Xbox real quick, I want to talk about, like, actually, especially looking at screenshots of this, that um, this actually, there is a a mini golden era of games that are very related to the launch of the Xbox 360 that this is part of. I think Lost Odyssey is part of it. Um, What was the the Toriyama game that came out early in the Xbox's life? Uh, Blue Dragon. Oh, Blue Dragon. 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 So, like, yeah, so I would say that... um, I'll let AJ answer about like how you can play it now. Um, but there is this like launch area of like between the Xbox, and the Xbox 360, where a lot of these 3D games came out. Like this one, like it hits the same nerve in terms of looking at the screenshots. It's 3D. It's very colorful, but it's stylized in a really um, thoughtful way. So that that's what also makes it um, stand the test of time to some degree. It doesn't doesn't age as much because it's not. It, it's again something we talk about a lot. It's not relying too much on the the system to do as much work for it. Um, it's still got a lot of really intentional color and stylistic and shape choices. Um, so like I, I bet if we went went down the rabbit hole and this is a, there's a whole catalog of games that that are in this era. Um, that that I think like I said they had really strong art direction around. That's why I mentioned like Lost Odyssey and. Blue Dragon, like examples of games that had very strong art direction um, and like a stylistic kind of vision behind them. So just another example of how stylization and, and artistry uh, are, rather than technology, are what make games last longer. Uh, anyway, this just kind of like popped into my head as I was looking at the screenshot. I feel like if, if Uncharted was the Matrix, then this game is like Equilibrium. 
it's like, you know, you saw the Matrix, you're like, whoa, this is cool. It's like, man, I want something like the Matrix, but man, what else is out there? And you do a search and you find Equilibrium and you're like, whoa, where did this come from? Like, I, I feel like that's what this game represents for me. Like, that's such a good example because Equilibrium also is way more fun and doesn't take itself as seriously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mm. like like the more that i heard aj talk about it like it just it put me in that space and i was just like yeah that's that's what this reminds me of like like this is one of those games where it's like you know if if you know playstation store has a sale you know they're like oh what are you gonna get and it's like well if i can find enslaved i'd get that and they're like wait what and i said well actually this is why and they're like oh wait this is really cool like this is it's, it's a gem man it's a very specific gem too like i i feel that 3 a.m vibe like a hundred thousand percent man Absolutely. I was going to say to finally like answer that question too about how you can play it. It is available on Steam right now, and it's not even that all that expensive. I think it's like 20, 20 bucks for a lot of you guys in the US. It's like 13 or 15 pounds for us here. I think 13, 14, 15 pounds for us in the UK. Uh, I'm not sure what else that's going to you know convert over to in other currencies, but you guys can check that out. But yeah, it's, it's available for a PC. And a lot of people can play that. It Obviously, I'm not sure with regard to even if the relevant stores will be open in time. Cause that's a whole, whole, whole other thing that's just happening at the moment. But yeah, I think that it, it came out on Xbox 360 and it came out on PS3 at the time. There was supposed to be, uh, I think there was like a rumor that it might get re-released on PS4, but that didn't happen, I don't think. But yeah, like... It's available on the PC, and I think that anyone, if they can, obviously, if you have a Steam account, please, please search for it. It's just a whole again. It's just Enslaved Odyssey to the West. It's a beautiful game. It's a really awesome story-driven hack and slash. Post-apocalyptic world. It looks beautiful to this day. Graphics hold up great. You'll, you'll enjoy it. Please give it give it a go. Who doesn't love Andy Circus, right? Go for it. Oh, yeah. Uh, real quick, so it's about 20 bucks on Steam. Um, yeah. Before we move on, I run into real quick. I don't know, AJ, maybe you can go into this a I would like to talk to our listeners a little bit about this wonderful studio that did this, Ninja Theory. Um, yeah. Because they act, they actually have got a lot of really under-celebrated games in their catalog. They're, um, they're one of these developers that I think, for people that aren't in the industry, flies under their radar quite a bit. Uh, they did, like, um, Heavenly Sword and uh, Hellblade. It's Hellblade, right? Um, not, my mind sometimes mixes yep. it up with Hellraiser, yep. but, yeah, Hellblade. Um, and like they did a Devil May Cry entry, like they're a really talented uh, British studio. Absolutely, I've got something to say actually about this. I have a bit of a, a bit of a little through line there. Okay, so many years ago, <laughs> back in like back in 2012, um, there's a there's a there's a thing here called EGX, and it used to be held in Earl's Court in London, and it's basically the Eurogamer Expo. Now, a whole bunch of people think, – think of it as like a mini E3, basically, our own sort of European E3 in a sense. Lots of people come through. It's got a lot of GDC vibes as well. Obviously, a lot of game developers from all over come through to share and show their games, talk about what they're working on. A whole bunch of other studios go to give out other information about their own processes and actual you know, game demos and all the rest of it. Lots of promotion, lots of marketing, lots of merch, you know, games expos. So if you've ever been to one, just think about that. So – Ninja Theory, back in 2012, they held a talk there because DMC Devil May Cry was a game that they were working on and they went and they showed early portions of the game's development. The game wasn't out yet, but they held a very special um, uh, Q&A session for developers and a whole bunch of people were going and me and my little plucky um, 16-year-old self, I was like, Dad, we have to go. 
and I want to go into the special developer Q&A and I want to go and ask some questions. So I did it. I was there sat in between. I remember it. I remember being this mm-hmm. little 16-year-old dude. I was sat between um, some developers for some other games and for some press and some people that were asking questions. And someone handed me a microphone. They were like, hey, no, first of all, they were like, who wants to ask a question? Obviously, you know me. My hand went straight up like a rocket. Boom. <laughs> so they were like, okay, cool. Here you go. They gave me a microphone. I think I remember asking some questions about like how it was that they were coming up with like different concepts and how it was that they, that they were working on certain mechanics and things like that. And like, I vividly remember one of the developers being really impressed and being like, oh, cool. Like this person here is asking a really good question. That's very good. Uh, They're being nice, I think. But I was just very like beaming with pride. I was like, oh, I'm asking a question with the adults. That's really cool. This is great. But I'm really, I've got a really positive memory of that because many years later, I would end up going to university and Obviously, I went to a game design university. I studied at a place called University of Central Lancashire. And a bunch of their alumni actually ended up working at Ninja Theory. One such alumni called Peter Field, he used to work at Ninja Theory and he worked there for two years. So, like, he was somebody who was very, you know, influential at, the, at that period of time. He was able to work on the actual game, which we're talking about. And he was actually able to work on um, DMC Devil May Cry, among, like, other things whilst he was there at that period of time. But that person obviously ended up leaving and he ended up going to Naughty Dog, another game which we were talking about. And he worked on the first Last of Us. He was a level designer on that. And that, again, during wow. that period of time, I know, right? Wow. They, he, okay, so he worked on that. And because of that happening, that was a big part of why I went to the university that I went to, to kind of see oh. if I could try and do something like this. And then we ended up becoming friends oh. because he, yeah, he um, he came back to give some talks and things like that. And again, naturally, you already know, the, the through line is there. I went, ran up first um, first in row, first of the first person to ask questions, first last one to leave kind of thing. I was just picking his brain, picking his brain. And then, yeah, we ended up just talking more and more. He'd come back to see our our degree show at the end of my course and stuff, and we'd chat some more about stuff like that. Yeah, really super cool person. But just in terms of like ninja theory as a whole, I suppose, I have a lot of really good feelings towards not only the people that I've met that have worked there, because everyone's everyone that I've met who's worked there has been super nice to me in general, of course, peers as well, but they've worked on a lot of really stellar games. I think you're about to speak about one of them right now, but yeah, DMC Devil May Cry, it was for a lot of for a lot of people not one that people um like not one that the hardcore fans of like DMC might hold up as like their greatest and favorite, but in terms of like again like ability to craft a solid game with great mechanics, a good visual style, interesting characters, yeah, like it was very much a really cool game that I think a lot of people should talk about today still. Yeah. Ninja Theory is very similar to Platinum games in their way that, like, mm. um, they don't always do, like, they have kind of varying levels of success for their games, but they have a voice. They have a clear, like, way they approach making games. Um, and to your point, even though some some of the games, like, aren't as popular as they probably should be, they hold up really well, and they have, uh, they're always really, really fun. Because, like I said, these people love making games, and they have um, they have a vision and a voice as to how to make them. And so you can always kind of feel that you're playing a Ninja Theory game. Like it's got a style. Absolutely. That's nice. Yeah, one of the one of the more recent ones, obviously, that is you know massively popular, the Hellblade Tenure Sacrifice. That was a game that was, you know, it's it's multiple award winning. And on top of all of this as well, like it's a really interesting dark take on the action adventure, like hack and slash genre once again. Like they have the very, very specific voice in terms of creating games of a certain genre, but like they add so many different 
pieces of flavor and texture to them. Like going from uh, uh, going from something like an enslaved Odyssey to the West to a future Hellblade Senua sacrifice, it shows a marked kind of like journey in terms of how it is that people are not only thinking about the kinds of stories that they want to portray, but thinking about characters and writing and growth as not only just a studio, but growth in terms of just creative ability and thought and expression. It's, it's really cool to think about this. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a thorough line with uh, what they do that, again, it points back to a particular type of confidence that Platinum Games has. Um, you know, they may not have, like, the most popular, like, titles, but, yeah, when you revisit them or you visit them for the first time, uh, it definitely makes you question, like, wait, why wasn't this game more popular? Why, why didn't more people play it? But, but you know the the work that they do uh it, it it stands up and i feel like even to this day you know uh some of the things that they have done in the past is probably still influencing people now in the future much like platinum absolutely, you know? absolutely. definitely there are, there are lots of different um parallels regarding the two studios but especially in terms of you know like cult classic games and games that have gone on to influence a lot of people and again, like not only just the games, but like the people who worked like on them, like very clearly of high quality and ability to be able to go over to so many other great studios and do all the great things. And yeah, I think it's just something that, especially in terms of like the British like game development scene too, there's a lot of really good people here, and there are a lot of there are a lot of really good studios and people working so hard and people just really pushing and trying very hard to create something that speaks with a certain rhythm and voice. And I think that that's something that stands the test of time for sure yeah one final thing as well about this if you would like um since we're kind of on the on the hellblade sort of like vibe there are developer diaries out there on youtube by ninja theory i recommend that people go watch them they talk about their own experiences creating the game itself they talk about different areas and ideas that they had different concepts that they thought about all sorts of things so yeah definitely just try and like youtube that i'm not sure what it's i'm not sure exactly what it is that they are specifically like named under but they have a whole bunch of really cool uh, dev diaries there. So, yeah, definitely check it out. And real minor thing, if you're interested in playing Hellblade, it's uh, available for free on Xbox Game Pass right now. Ooh, wow. do it. It's for free. <laughs> yeah. Well, Can't well be free, free once you pay for Game Pass. But Game Pass is a fantastic value, so I'd recommend it. And you and you mm-hmm. can play it on PC as well as Xbox with the Game Pass. So. Definitely. Yep. Definitely, definitely. There's so many cool games that we've all like linked together today. This has been a really good um, 3 a.m. episode. I feel. I think we've all had a had a really good time. So it's been it's been cool. It's oh, an interesting and specific synergy that was going on with uh, what we all picked without even talking to each other. I know, right? Like Richmond, can you can you close it off, or is a lot of pressure now? I know a lot of, a lot of pressure for synergy. We've given uh, you the alley oop, and now all we need is for you to dunk it, man. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, my my game, um, it's 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 uh, it's not the most obscure game, but it's also not the best known game. It's uh, I, I think it's a hidden gem. Going back to uh, 1994, uh, 1994 to the uh, SNES era. Um, this is a game called Nosferatu, uh, developed by. Oh man! Oh, you're bringing me back, bro. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, th- th- this is a game that I, I just find myself. 
I, I just keep coming back to it. So it's it's a uh, SNES game called Nosferatu, made by Seta Corporation, S-E-T-A. Uh, came out in Japan in October 1994, and it was released in North America in July of the following year. So it's uh, it's a cinematic platformer, um, you know, uh, which, along the lines of like a Prince of Persia, uh, flashback, another world, you know, that, that, that style of like a 2D uh, platformer with just really like lush animation and um, just, uh, uh, you know, like a lot of puzzles. And um, so, <laughs> oh man. Okay. So this game came out in 1995 and, um, or, or really 1994 in Japan. And it really, that was an amazing year for Super Nintendo games. So I got way overshadowed by like so many other games. Like 1994 was the year that uh, games that came out that year include Final Fantasy VI, Earthbound, Earthworm Jim, Super Metroid, Donkey Kong Country. So like the bar was so high. Set super high. Um, so th- this game just really was easily forgotten in the mix. But um, I-, I think if you do get a chance to play it, it's it's there's a lot of things about it that make it really special. So um, yeah, so so it, it's uh, how to describe it. Um, okay, so so yeah, it's it's a cinematic platformer uh, action game and. Um, so why is it a 3 a.m. game? Because at, at a glance, it, it looks like a fairly standard uh, Super Nintendo game, right? It, it's got, um, so Nosferatu, it's got the vampire theme. Uh, re- really, the bad guy's Dracula, but they, they probably couldn't call it Dracula because that's what Castlevania's called in Japan, so they defaulted to Nosferatu instead. Got a classic, like, Bela Lugosi-looking, you know, Dracula dude is the bad guy. Sort of looks like Castlevania, but the more you look at it, like, the weirder the weirder it gets. Um, <clears throat> so one of the reasons I love it so much, this is something we keep talking about over and over every podcast, the games that we love, they're really um, polished. Like a lot of love uh, clearly went into this game. So like um, th- this game is beautifully animated. I-, I think it is one of the most beautifully animated Super Nintendo games. And like just the art direction on it is is, is really super tight. And like, um, the moment you start it up, you know, it, it's got, uh, it's just the, the, the opening cinematic is really, really striking. It's got this, uh, really cool, like ambient soundtrack. Um, the cinematics in it are, are quite good, actually. Like they don't feel limited. Um, they, they don't feel like flat, like, uh, sprite art. They, they feel really full, even though it is like all just, just sprite art. And, um, I think it, just everything's so cohesive. And, like, from the moment you start the game, I think one thing that really makes it special, and I didn't really fully realize it until I was researching, you know, the game today, is, um, like, the, the animation is so good, and it's... Uh, everything has animation in this game. Everything has in-betweens. Like, there, the character never just jumps... No, no one ever just jumps from pose to pose. Like everything is fully animated. Like from the moment the game starts, you you literally like drop through the ceiling, and and you see the character stand himself back up. And if you turn, their character has a turning animation. And you start walking, he has a startup. He goes into a regular walk. You know, if he bumps into a wall, he'll actually like 
like nudge. You know, it, it, it's a very physical game. Even even when you fight, when you press the action button, you switch to like a fighting pose, and then all of a sudden the animations, the controls are totally different, right? Instead of like a walk, you get into like a fighting shuffle, and um, one way it stands out from other other uh, uh, cinematic platformers of this type is um, it is very like melee combat oriented. It almost feels like a beat 'em up at parts, and um, it's just uh, like everything about it is so richly animated. Not just the main character, but like every enemy character. Like they all have turning animations. They all have like weird idols. They shuffle about like really convincingly. Um, even when enemies die, they don't just blink out. Like they, they like melt, like everything's so physical. Like there's just such a sense of continuity to it. Um, and then, I don't know, just the more you play it, like the weirder it gets, right? Like for, first of all, like, um, so at at a glance, it's got this Gothic theme, right? This Castlevania like theme, but then like you look at the main character and he's sort of like, uh, it's very modern looking. He's 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 in a Canadian tuxedo, right? He's he's got jeans and like sneakers and like a, a jean jacket too and a t-shirt underneath. Uh, even though everything else looks like it's like you know 1700s Transylvania, um, there's no other indication it's modern times. Like he rides a horse, you know, to the castle. Oh yeah! By, by the way, the classic setup is that Dracula kidnaps your your girlfriend. You gotta you gotta get her back, right? Um, very, very simple setup. But then, um, so here's the part that I know James is going to chime in on. Um, so, like, the more I look at this game, just the weirder it gets, because it's got a really weird, weird vibe to it. Like, the animation's very full, everything's very convincing. And then um, I'm pretty sure the main character is actually inspired by the main character from an old American uh, horror comedy film called House. James, I, I, I'm pretty sure you're familiar with this movie. Oh man, you know, you know what? Yeah, yeah, like that's definitely a uh, deliberate uh, influence that I did not catch right away, but over time, you you definitely can see how uh, within the midst of everything else that this game represents that. Uh, that that house definitely would have been a a foundational pillar uh yeah. in, in in the approach of this game um so, so you know house, yeah just real quick house was an uh a 1986 horror movie a horror comedy um it was pretty unique for the time right it came out right after the first evil dead which was just a straight up horror movie and right before the second evil dead where it like became really comedic and crazy and it it's sort of this it, it, you know it was like pressing into that film um, it, it was directed by Steve Miner, who, who um, uh, directed Friday the 13th Parts 2 and 3 before he, he went on to direct um, House. And then he began his career as an assistant editor on Last House on the Left, which was Wes Craven's first film. It was an excellent, amazing exploitation film, uh, a crazy exploitation horror film. Uh, I, I highly recommend it. it, it it's hard to watch. Um, if, if you want to watch like a brutal, weird horror movie, uh, that's a great film. So this guy's like a, a veteran horror director. He made this movie called House, which is like, um, yeah, obviously it takes place in a haunted house, but it's uh, it's full of like wacky monsters. I remember catching it on TV 
as a kid in in Thailand. And I was just like, what the hell is this movie? Like, it was so creepy, but also like weirdly fun. And like the monsters were scary, but also like had that. It's like almost like an American tokusatsu film, right? Tokusatsu just means special effects. Yeah. Had so many fun costumes. So like it, it was just absolutely captivating for me as a kid. Um, there's a lot of art to, yeah. uh, or I guess like heartful art to this movie. Um, even with all of the physical prosthetic, like, like effects that it had, um, for the time, it felt very much, uh, I guess for lack of a better word, like lived in and convincing for the, the time and the era. Um, you know, even to the point where there was a synergy with, uh, the poster design, like the color, the, the color direction, even in the poster design was conducive to the way that the film felt. And even the game arguably, uh, shares a, a similar sensibility. There's a certain sense of depth with the uh, the effects that this movie has. Um, even some of the shot choices are, are, are particularly uh, cinematic in a sense that you could take some of those stills and you could imagine them being um, translated to pixel art. Uh, you know, there's a lot of really interesting uh, parallels I, I, that I feel visually with this movie in the feel in terms of the influence. Uh, you know, obviously Nosferatu is its own separate thing. But uh, there's definitely a correlation there that, you know, over time I thought like, man, you know what? It's kind of like, oh my gosh, what is the name of that movie? We were just talking about this a few years ago. Uh, there's a movie that literally is the plot structure for Final Fight. Um, oh, yeah. Gosh, it's not a streetcar named Desire. A Streets of Fire. Uh, Streets, Streets of, of Fire. Fire. Yeah, oh. it, it, it's it's it, it reminds me like in that sense, like in terms of uh, certain like parallel sensibilities. For sure. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, just the fact that um, it adds to the 3M vibe that it's called Nosferatu, and it's absolutely not influenced by Nosferatu, the film, at all. No. Zero <laughs> percent. <laughs> This is definitely it's just like a title. What we do. Yeah. yeah, it's just like what we do, right? We just like veer off to the left all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the only thing that Nosferatu is missing is uh, serious V-neck action that uh, <laughs> House has. Yeah, yeah. But other than that, like the confidence and style in the appearance of the main character is 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 super strong. Like I yeah. remember looking at this as a kid, I would see it because you know I couldn't find Nosferatu in stores. I can only find it in Blockbuster for some reason. Yeah, I, which I is never weird. remember seeing it in in um, you know uh, Babbage's or wherever like people yeah. were buying games back then. I I actually didn't. Um, yeah, I don't think I. I didn't even know it came out in America for years and years. So, like I, I played a bootleg version of it in in Thailand um, for the Super Famicom. Oh wow! Okay. I thought I thought it was a Japanese exclusive for the longest time because it was not widely distributed in America. Yeah, like I only saw it in like a blockbuster, and I remember, you know, I mean, this, you know, I my my mom was like super religious, so you know, God forbid, I bring something home like that. So I remember a buddy of mine actually rented it, and you know, we fell in love with it. I mean, it it, uh-huh. it low key almost gave me nightmares, but like it's a scary like, game. It's, yeah, but it was like it was worth it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's actually only rated K through A, so really surprising. It's considered all ages, like. But you play this yeah. game scary as hell. It's not bloody. There's no no. Blood, but the vibe of it is 
terrifying. Like, like the soundtrack is like really ambient. It's not like very melodic. And the, like right away, the first level, like you hear like breathing sounds in the background and it's like super creepy. And like you, um, you explore the dungeon. The first enemy you fight is like a goblin, but it's, um, it looks real. <laughs> it doesn't look like a video game. Yeah. It's like, if these things were real, it would look and move like that, you know? And then there's like, there's like uh, prisons. There, there's there's prisoners like they're shaking the bars, begging you to help them, but like you can't. And then like a zombie just comes out of the ground, and it's like liquid flash, and it, it's just terrifying looking. And then you you you're, you're running down a hallway, and then like a hangman just drops down and like takes a swing at you. Like this is yeah. It's a terrifying, yeah 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 yeah. It 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 definitely is is a is a game that i that i will never forget like because i remember i was like man like i never thought i wanted final fight in castlevania to yeah. mix yeah, 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 yeah you know yeah that's the thing I, is like, yeah this guy is a karate master so that makes it like even yeah. more surreal is everything's <laughs> so realistic looking and you're in this beautiful like you know old-timey transylvania but then you're like this dude and his is is a jean jacket just like if you're good at this game, you, you can speed run it in 20 minutes. This guy just absolutely punches the shit out of like everything in his path. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I played a little gift before. He's like, he's just peeking up as well with a little KOF like combo. Like, yeah, bit, yeah, bit, yeah. Bit, like punch, punch, kick, kick. I'm like, what yeah. the? That was really cool. Like, yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's a so, pretty awesome game. I you think know, it's something that really contributes to the feel of this game. Sorry, there, Richmond. Good. Good. I don't know. Okay. So. Uh, this is a really unnecessary detail that clearly they put a lot of thought into. Um, so, and I, it must, it, it really like, I think it contributes to the, uh, the, to your point, like the, about the speed running of the game. So my understanding is, I think this game just takes place over one day. Um, and it's very visible in the way that the color grading of the game works because it starts yeah. off very black, very black shadows, very dark, very gray. And then if you notice the stages and the builds, Toward the game, it gets slowly more warm. Yeah, uh, more, like each stage does, um, and like it, it explains. Obviously, you're, like you're going up into the the castle. You're from a dungeon. You're in front of it a few times. Um, so there's two times that you're in front of the castle, and I, I just I kind of popped through a lot of the the video footage because I I did play this game, but it's forever ago. Um, and what's what's cool about it is so it ends with you right literally riding off into the sunset with your uh, with your uh, um, your girlfriend, but they build to that. Like it starts in the blackness of night, and then as you progress through the game, <laughs> it, it builds towards sunset to the, the point where the first time you're in front of the castle, it's it's night, and the second time you're in front, as it's building up that color grading, you can see it kind of the sun coming up to some degree, and there being more of a silhouette of the castle. Um, so when I look at stuff like th this kind of idea, that is some very very thoughtful art direction um and it's reflected in the stages they they get warmer they get they they gain a they gain like a bit more yellow then a bit more green and then i i, I haven't uh found a screenshot of it but the the final like arena thing that you fight the final boss in has like stained glass and um it's completely well it's completely lit so i don't know i just thought that was a pretty unnecessary detail, but I, I think it might be a callback to like the color grading of film. Um, oh, this game is super cinematic, very, very film inspired for sure. And I actually appreciate that. Um, 
they're you know like they, they do change the time of day like it's not all dark like they, there are levels in broad daylight which I, I think the best horror films are not afraid to to do that because it um it makes it more convincing like it, it yeah um i, I think adam you, you had something to say Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Okay, so just like very, very briefly, this game itself, it reminds me of something that I really fell in love with a long time ago. It's a game which you may have heard of, Splatterhouse. Like, yes. it's so cool. Yes, yes, just yes. like, yeah. exactly, thinking and thinking and hearing yes. about the ways that, yeah, about the ways that this character is able to, you know, interact with these really creepy and grotesque and sort of ever-evolving and bubbling and such disgusting, like, monsters and things like this. This is a game that capitalize, capitalizes on this very well, especially with regard to how you're talking about the animations and everything else like that and how the characters in this, like, they sort of, like, melt away instead of just, like, blinking out of existence and stuff like that. Like, Splatterhouse does the exact same thing. It does it really, really well. I remember, I didn't get to play this, but I remember watching and being, like, obsessed with it back when I was, like, a little bit younger. And, yeah, like, just seeing the fact that you could be in a room full of such, like, disgusting, like, bloody creatures and that you were this one, you know, one lone survivor trying to get your girlfriend back or whatever. Like, and then you had to fight against all these really super crazy, supernatural, paranormal creatures. Yeah, it just gives me this very, very similar kinds of vibes. And I just really have to say, the pixel art in these games, if you're interested, you should really go back and have a look at the way that these monsters transform into other monsters and the way that they die, the way that they interact with the player character, the way that the player character can dispatch of them and just, you know, dispose of them. Yeah, just those interactions are incredibly important for when you're trying to create a memorable, not only scenario, but a memorable, like, just method of trying to kill or trying to dispatch or dispose of an enemy. Trying to get those mechanics across. If I hit something with a bat, will it dis- will it disintegrate in a different kind of way than if I punch it or kick it? Like, what kind of reactions and feedback is the game giving me that will make me as a player want to do something different? Because if I want to, if I can, I'll just go through all of the game and just press A and then just, you know, enemy, gone. That's it. If nothing else happens, it won't be very stimulating or memorable for me as a player. But if I'm using different weapons and it's having a vivid, you know, a marked difference on the enemy character. If I cut something and it gets sliced in half, I'll be I want to do that again. I'll be interested in doing that. What if I throw what if I set something on fire? What if I throw a bomb at something? Do you know what I mean? So this game very very um, stylistically captures that that sort of curiosity that players have and how it is that the visuals can be tied to mechanics in such an interesting and important way to create a memorable feel for game mechanics. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. Definitely. I just I had to go on that tangent really quickly because like I feel like I'm watching parts of Nosferatu now and like it does the same kind of a thing. Like it's it's got it's got me feeling the same kind of vibes. So I'm definitely gonna have to watch and like check this game out and hopefully try and play it someplace. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Rich, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I seem to recall this game's like insanely difficult too, right? Uh, sort of, sort of. It, it's it uh, is it a is. super turbo of castlevania game or esque <laughs> games uh it is like probably as difficult as the american ai for <laughs> super street fighter 2 and uh just to just to give people an idea of how difficult this game is um in in imagine playing a game where you have to attack an enemy but the enemy will all certain enemies not all the enemy will always by programming just anticipate whatever you're doing 
<laughs> and completely counter it. Yep. Uh, to a point where the uh, there will be times where it seems like an enemy is throwing an attack at you or doing something that doesn't look like it aligns with your character, like it would hit it and it would still hit the character. Uh, you know, it it is yeah, it is infuriatingly difficult. But the interesting thing about that is that everything else about the game is so appealing that it will inspire you to continue to play it. Uh, but it is definitely uh, freakishly difficult. I wouldn't say it's like SNK boss difficult, but it's definitely hmm. along the lines of like Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo American uh, <laughs> AI. So as long yeah, as, yeah, as, I think as hard as hard. fighting Bison at the end of Alpha 3, I think we should be fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 We don't that is exactly don't... what you're talking about. That because that's yeah. painful. <laughs> yeah, that is a. That is a painful uh, experience. Uh, Nosferatu is not quite there, but it's probably like a few exits away. Okay. Yeah, uh, a couple couple things about the gameplay. Um, so at at the time, this game got pretty low uh, marks. You know, it, it gets you know it didn't get great reviews, and uh, the chief complaint was the controls. So if you've played like Prince of Persia flashback, they're very lushly animated games and the characters move very realistically. You know, they can't jump that high and um, they cannot, this is crucial. They cannot change direction after they jump, which is sort of like something you take for granted in most games. So, um, and then on top of all that, this game in particular, like I was saying, like there, there's really no, um, Everything has startup animation and in-betweens and follow-through, which means um, also the controls are a bit delayed. Like, you input something, you you watch it start up and and finish. So a bit of a sense of delay. So at the time, uh, people, like, I mean, the SNES era, like, games had super precise controls. So so this game felt super clunky. um, This game feels like... Shaq Fu as a as a platformer, and wow, it, I, I don't mean that it, it quite as the insult that it sounds. Like uh, you know, a lot of people think Shaq Fu, they think, oh, that's a legendarily bad game. But uh, that game was actually made by really good developers. It was made by the creators of Flashback, and it, it had beautiful animation, but at the expense of responsive controls. But I think it works better for this platformer because it's it's not a fighting game, and you can actually. Really, the way to get good at this game is to anticipate stuff, to know that, okay, I got to press this before this enemy comes into my range. You know, I got to stand here anticipating the trajectory of this particular enemy. Um, And once you think about it that way, uh, the game feels better. And also, I think ironically, um, playing the game years later, after playing a lot of 3D games, um, it's actually easier. (laughs) I think it's actually easier for me to, like, play this game because... 1994, you expect like razor sharp controls, uh, but you know nowadays uh, when you play like more cinematic 3D games, um, uh, modern games aren't quite as like twitchy, right? As your your classic arcade games. So I think if if you come back to this after playing like uh, Assassin's Creed or something, it it, it might not it might not feel that slow. Um, and actually, the combat is quite responsive if if you know what you're doing. Um, and the game is actually weirdly forgiving once once you figure it out. You, you you have a lot of invincibility frames actually. Like when when you when you jump up on a ledge or like duck down, uh, it, it, it's pretty forgiving. Um, 
enemies can pass right by you without hurting you. And and quite notably for a 16-bit game, anim enemies don't automatically hurt you. When you bump into someone, it's not an automatic, like, uh, you know, you, you don't automatically get your, your hit points reduced, um, which is quite interesting. I, I think a lot of aspects of this game were way ahead of its time. Like, just the fact that they were just thinking about just the physicality of it, just just bumping into an enemy just feels like bumping into a person. You you actually have to hit them. They have to hit you back to actually do damage. But then you can also do damage if you like run, if you sprint headfirst into a wall and stuff. Like uh, it's got a great sense of momentum. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. but, uh, I'm looking right now, and it's exactly what you're just saying here. Like the fact that you kind of have to you know go from a walk to break out into a sprint to slide underneath certain sections yeah. of platforms and stuff yeah. like that. Like the fact that you can kind of anticipate how far it is that you need to jump, and then you, your character as they walk close to the edge, you kind of do a whoa, like kind of like a little bit yeah. of a kind of balance type thing. Like we all do if we're about to fall, I don't know, like maybe down the stairs or something. Do you know what I mean? That kind of secondary yeah. like reaction that happens. Yeah, it's very interesting that they would include this. But as you mentioned before, this did exist in other prior games, like again Prince of Persia, Flashback. Um, I forget the name of that game, but um, is it called like Another World? I think it's called or something. Yeah, yeah, Another World. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. There it is. Yeah, but yeah, there are there are a lot of games that had a lot that, that had a lot of um, very similar kind of you know rotoscoped animation um, utilized and yeah. stuff like that. So yeah. very very important that that gets recognized as well. There is also yeah. a person making a game called Lunark, and I think if we go ahead and check it out, yeah. So. Um, Canary Games, uh, basically working on this 80s and 90s inspired um, platformer. And yeah, I've seen this a lot on Twitter. And a lot of the people that are very interested in games like this, like, like uh, sorry, like um, Nosferatu, they would like a game like this. It's really cool. You're just sort of Lunark. walking around and trying to, yeah, you're trying to figure out how to, you know, survive on this, like, alien, I think it's like an alien planet, I believe. But yeah, really, really cool stuff. I remember seeing this um, worked on by I think it's Johan Vinay, I think. Yeah, someone who worked on uh, worked uh, worked on uh, Flint Hook, like Mercenary Kings, yeah, Shovel Knight Showdown, Rivals of Aether. So yeah, oh, wow. just like yeah, for example, if you know if you know something about indie games, you may you may or may not have heard of those games that I just mentioned. But yeah, the, the studio Canary Games, you want to check it out. This is a cool game, and I think it's very relevant to what it is we're talking about here with regard to the kind of side scrolling, sideways on, two D really cool animation very well thought through very well animated yeah definitely check that out too yeah yeah i i, I just want to talk a little bit more about like the the bosses in uh, nosferatu like mm -hmm. they're they're really interesting like the first boss is like a you know it's a hunchback and he's got like a, a boomerang blade that comes back at you and he looks straight out of castlevania and then like you knock him down and then he turns into a werewolf you got to beat that guy too and then, uh, so that's pretty standard. I mean, it's cool, it's weird. But then the second boss, this is where it becomes a, this is the, the peak 3 a.m. games uh, boss for me. Like the second stage, as Sean pointed out, this game takes place at different times of day. By the time you clear the second dungeon and you come out, um, it's daylight. And you go through a field and you're attacked by two apes. <laughs> and they're, uh. they're like, weirdly realistic apes, right? Like, but they're also like, they're not, they're like an amalgam of every different kind of ape. It, it, it kind of looks like a chimp, kind of looks like an orangutan, kind of looks like a gorilla. And, uh, but they're just weirdly realistic. 
they're they're shorter than you. They're not like giant video game gorillas. And you, you just have to fist fight these two apes in diapers uh, who, who are making very realistic noises too. And it's just like such a surreal uh, battle. It's I, I I love this game. It's it's such a strange game. And um, Oh, and the boss battles, they have, like, these beautiful uh, pixel art backgrounds. So mo- most of the game is, like, like tiling backgrounds, but they do, like, nice tricks to make it feel really full. And then the boss battles tend to have, like, a um, non-tiling centerpiece uh, that's just... But it feels really beautiful. It doesn't feel like someone just inserted a JPEG into the background. Like, it, it feels really integrated with everything else. And uh, I think that's what really gets me about this game is that, like, everything's so seamless. Everything goes together. The cutscenes look like they match the gameplay like perfectly. You don't feel like, oh, I'm a sprite here, and then this is like the real character in the cutscene. It just feels really continuous. Um, it's just super impressive. Like I, I feel like it, it's it's really ahead of its time because like you, you don't get this cohesion between like you know uh, story scenes and gameplay scenes like. People didn't really focus on it until like like Metal Gear, right? Where it was like, oh, it's it's the same character in the in the cutscene. Right. And, yeah, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah, but this game, like, uh, just everything went together so well. Um, it just felt like a real labor of love, and um, I, I, I sort of have I, I have I have a weird theory about this game. So if if you, if you look at the development history of it, um, it was actually first announced in 1991. So it was announced, um, like, I think before the SNES had actually come out in the United States. So people people were expecting this to pretty much be like a launch game, but it didn't come out um, in Japan until ni- late 1994. And in America, it didn't come out until 1995 when the SNES was pretty much like nearing the end of its uh, lifespan. Um, and if, if you look at the company that made it, uh, SATA, um they're mostly known for doing a series of games called. Um, give me one second. Let me pull up my notes. Uh, they're mostly known for Super Real Mahjong. So they've been developing this series since 1987, and it's a, a series of. Uh, it's a strip mahjong game. It is originally uh, for for arcade. And, um, you know, it's a Mahjong game and you play against like these, these really nicely animated, like uh, anime girls. And if you win, they like remove their clothing. It's, it's an adult, adult game. And they've been making them uh, since 1987. And there are, uh, I think there are like eight numbered games in the series. And that's not counting offshoots. These, these games were quite popular in Japan and uh, they were ported to a shocking amount of consoles mostly with the adult content uh, removed but it came out uh it was ported to pc it was on super nintendo pc engine cd 3do sega saturn pcfx even the neo geo pocket and game boy advance and um it even had like an ova and like books and drama cds like these were really popular so this was this company's cash cow right and, and they're really like you know they're, they're they're actually quite nicely animated, quite cinematic. But um, I I feel like Nosferatu must have been made in between development of those games because it, it was announced in 1991, and it didn't come out until four years later. And and 
you know, like a four-year development cycle would have been hugely unusual back then. Like uh, game, games were turned around yeah, in like one year or less back then. So I think, I think this game was made because like they wanted to make like a hardcore game, and they, I, I think they only you know had time and resources to do it in in between their cash cow, the strip mahjong games, and then um, okay to to take it even further. Um, uh, this company, uh, uh, Seda, they they did another um, another super three AM game, uh, also announced in 1991. But this game never came out. It was one of the most famous pieces of vaporware. It, they did BioForce Ape for for the announced for the Nintendo, and this game BioForce Ape. Um, for the longest time, people only knew it from a couple screenshots in 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 magazines and it it just sounds it sounds like a made-up game it, it, the the plot is that you're you're somebody's pet ape and the family gets abducted somehow and then the ape mutates um into the bioforce ape uh and he looks like the ultimate warrior you know like the wwf wrestler and um for the longest time there were just a couple blurry screens and then there was even um somebody did there was a whole host like People pretended that they found it and they like made up, uh, you know, screens, and you know that was pretty funny. But then someone actually discovered the actual ROM. The actual ROM was way weirder than the game that people like, you know, made up for the hoax. Like, it's a really sincerely made game. It would have been at the end of the NES life cycle, and it had like really bizarrely good animation. And I, I'm pretty sure there's very little information on this game, but I, it must have been the Nosferatu team because the sprite art for this NES game is ridiculously good. And the animation almost looks like it's rotoscoped, except that it's so surreal that I, I don't know how they would have rotoscoped it because like you, you fight enemies that are like, uh, they're animal mutants too, animal person hybrids, except like, it's like a crocodile man, except like, his legs are the crocodile head, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and like, yeah, like, oh, um, so he jumps at you with his legs, which are the head, and then there's like a kangaroo man, except like his hands are the kangaroo legs, and it, it's weirdly well animated. Like you can like just grab enemies and like suplex them, and it's got like this really great sense of impact and secondary animation. And and much like Nosferatu, it has a ridiculous amount of animations for stuff that you wouldn't think they would do for a game of this era. Like in Bioforce, if you fall off, it, this game like it, it has really great verticality to do it. So you can like basically fall off a skyscraper, and then you don't just fall. You you go First, you fall, and then you go into free fall, where you're just, like, waving your arms just wildly. And then you go into another, like, final, like, terminal velocity, where you're just, like, tumbling through the air. Like, they cared about these weird little details. And I'm I'm almost certain that this team, um, developing Bioforce Ape, uh, in between making Strip Mahjong games, that game got canceled. And then the company was like, okay, well, you know, we can't make this game, but we'll we'll let you make this other game. And then I think, I feel like that carrot got dangled in front of them for like four years until they finally like finished the game. That that was Nosferatu. And yeah, that's, that's why that's my 3am game. It's just, it's, it's a bizarre game and it's, it's just full of weird, loving little touches. It's, it's not the greatest game, you know, it's, it's not like an all time classic, but, um, 
it, it was full of all those little details that amount to like this game that I just keep going back to. <laughs> mm. I think that's what's great about this though, the fact that like these games they don't have to be like massive smash hits, you know? Like yeah. each of them can mean something to each of us in different ways and people who may have just heard about them for the first time might want to look into it and pick them up or just be, you know, like passively interested, but it's that interest itself that is worth something, right? It's not always monetary. But yeah, I totally get you. Yeah. Yeah, so that that's that's my my three AM game, Nosferatu. It's cool. I like and it. And also Bioforce Ape. You should check that out too. <laughs> Shout out to Bioforce Ape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just threw something in there actually. They there is um there's an article that I was just reading, and it's like called Eight Weird Video Game Urban Legends and Hoaxes, and it says here like. <clears throat> Like the smashed Bioforce Ape cartridge, so the game obviously came out uh, created in 1992. The oddly titled Bioforce Ape is very real, like and very, un- very and very unreleased uh, any side scroller. It's a well, it's a very little known game in certain circles. It revolves around a certain superpowered ape trying to save his kidnapped creators, all that stuff. But yeah, someone un- back in 05, I believe, they finally got like a collector's like version of the game, and they were really happy about it. But then they posted like a picture of the cartridge that got smashed, and they were like, damn. The cartridge of this really rare game got smashed, and that that became like a bit of like internet lore, like an urban legend slash hoax type thing. So yeah, like there's a lot of mystery surrounding the game that you just uh, talked about there in Bioforce Ape, but also in Nosferatu itself and the studio surrounding it. So yeah, very cool stuff. I'm glad that I've learned about it because now I want to try and check it out. Awesome, that's cool. Hmm. This has been a good one. This has been cool. I'm glad that we've all got to, you know, meet up once again and give each other just really weird stuff to talk about. <laughs> yeah. All right. Oh, man. That was a fun one. Definitely. Okay. Let's, uh, shall we, shall we close out? Yeah. All right. Let's wrap things up. Um, yeah. So uh, to our listeners, thank you. Thank you for uh, tuning in. Thank you for spending your time with us. Um, so if you enjoyed this podcast, you, you can follow us at on Twitter at Art Eater Podcast. That's A-R-T-E-A-T-E-R-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, Art Eater Podcast. Um, yeah, just follow us on Twitter, and we'll let you know whenever a new one goes out. Um, if you want to check out the old podcast, go to arteater.com that's a-r-t-e-a-t-e-r.com and you can see um, all of uh, you'll find links to all of our previous podcasts and also our articles that I've written and um, yeah uh, hopefully uh, our podcast is also on all the platforms where you like to get your podcasts like uh, you know Apple, Stitcher, Spotify Uh, if we missed anything let us know, Uh, send us a message on on Twitter. And um, yeah, um, I'm your host, Richmond. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm always on Twitter. I'm on Twitter way too much. Um, on Twitter at Richmond Lee. That's R I C H M O N D underscore L E E. Um, and fellas, uh, please let everyone know how they can uh, keep track of you and just, well, you know, maybe tell, tell people what you've been up to as well. All right. I guess I'll, uh, I'll, I'll start this off. Uh, you know, this is James Stanley. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at beefy underscore kunoichi. Uh, that's B E F Y underscore K U N O I C H I. Uh, I am a storyboard artist, 
comic book artist, sometimes animator, uh, working on a project called Part-Time Shuffle. Uh, I recently posted an image uh, regarding an, an update on some things. Uh, I'm not going to speak too much about that, but if you see that, it is pinned on my Twitter. Uh, so there's some interesting things that are coming, but uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. Uh, cool. I'm Sean. I'm always here. Uh, you can uh, follow me on Twitter uh, at uh, Dvorsk, D-A-B-O-R-S-K. Uh, during the day, I, I lead design teams at NDXT. We're a PC gaming company, so if you want to hear about PC gaming, uh, that's mostly what I talk about. I also talk about UX, UI, um, write articles usually about uh, interface and experiences. Uh, I'm also working on a book right now, so that will be at some point later this year, much later, but uh, oh, I'll nice. So, are you, are you doing cool. a book on UI? Uh, it's on mobile design, uh, or rather the philosophy of mobile design. So no, the title's not done yet, manuscript's not done yet, but okay. uh, publisher and doing all the book things and whatever. So yeah, I'll, I'll be starting to post more news about that as I as I get it uh, <laughs> as I get it done. Uh, and uh, yeah, otherwise I just retweet with these guys uh, put out. Cool. Yep. So everybody. Uh, I'm Adam Mattis. I go by uh, AJ Mattis on Twitter. That's just uh, A-J-M-A-T-T-I-S on Twitter. Uh, yeah, I go by Adam or AJ as well. People call me either. It's fine. I am a pixel artist, a taekwondo fighter, game and level designer. I've been involved with some other independent uh, teams recently at the moment and some other creators as well trying to work on some things which i'll be able to talk about some more soon and i've also been doing a bit more commission work going to start opening that back up again for a lot of people so yeah going to have like a little price list and all the rest of that stuff out soon if anyone else needs some pixel art goodness and other related things they can come to me for that but yeah i mainly just talk about all different kinds of subjects online from things like art anime um, like other video games that are happening martial arts, pixel art especially comic books, all kinds of cool stuff that I enjoy and yeah, if you really want a nice creative space online, try and hit me up and we'll see what we can do, I'll see you guys in a bit it's been a great episode alright